How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jack Daw read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 18 Side by Side with Golden Light Not for the first time that day, Luke said a quiet blessing over the person who'd first realized that you could put chocolate and milk into a pan and heat it up into a truly blessed drink. Taking another sip from his fourth mug of hot chocolate laced with a couple of shots of double-brewed calf, he once again blessed the fact that, unlike Tatooine, Quat was both wealthy and fertile enough to actually produce chocolate, instead of importing it at such exorbitant rates that Luke could only ever remember having small bits of it on exactly two days a year before leaving the planet. Admittedly, he loved Kesh Satan and his name day, and perhaps that was part of the reason why he had such a strong affection for chocolate— but introspection on those matters could wait, because for now it was all that was keeping him strong throughout having to deal with the fallout of yesterday's flight. Thankfully, all his charges had pulled through. Even Crosshair had already woken up again and was groggily complaining about the absolute wreck they'd made of his precious Wona, something that Luke admittedly agreed with, and demanding that they fix it. Taking another sip from the rich drink spiked with calf, Luke scrolled through the schedules of his engineers, surreptitiously sorting those with the desired qualifications who could be missed for a day or three at a time into four shifts and making a note to ask if Orto would be willing to spearhead the project alongside him. He'd need someone who knew his way around the finer aspects of machinery in order to complete this. And of course he would have to get this all approved by Vader, but he had a feeling his home wouldn't deny him this if he explained it was to uphold his honor even if Crosshair was someone he disliked. Thunder rolled outside, and glancing up from his data pad, he saw another lightning fork flash through the sky, rain streaming against the windows. Contentment washed over him, and he smiled to himself as he abandoned the data pad on the carved wooden desk set by the large, arching windows of the study that was attached to his assigned guest suite. Not to worry. He whispered quietly into the storm as he laid a hand against the window panes, feeling the water-smooth cold of the rain through the glass as it rattled against it while golden light spilled over him. I haven't forgotten you, my sovereign patron, nor your aid so freely offered. The taste of salt sat lightly on the back of his tongue while thunder rolled through the sky, and the storm still raging overhead with an intensity that awed it didn't seem to be abating either, which was odd, but not unheard of. The storm would blow the way it deemed necessary, and in this particular instance, it deemed it necessary to remind Luke of its power. Or perhaps to demonstrate a new aspect of it, Luke thought while warming his hand back up on his steaming mug, sheets of rain rattling the windows. Back on Tatooine, rain was rare. In the Genlin wastes he called home, it might only rain less than a handful of days a year, if at all, with most of the moisture they collected blowing over from Kashmir Ridge. But when it did rain, the storm was its courier from the moons, in its rarest aspect of all, the Rainbringer. 
He'd only ever seen it answer his prayers in that aspect once over all the years he ran his flights. It had happened in his fourth flight out of Jabba's palace, and his patron had sent down waves of water from the skies to blot out their trail and quench the thirst of his charges. He'd purchased a calf from old Ben's herd after that flight had run to its conclusion, and sacrificed it at his patron's shrine for a display of that magnitude. He'd have to see if he could find something similar for his sacrifice after this flight. He sighed deeply as he longingly looked at the rain for a moment longer. If at all possible, he would have loved to ignore all that needed to be done until after he'd done his duties as a runner. To source a good sacrifice to give in return for the blessings granted to him and step out into the storm, letting himself get soaked through with rain as he danced and sang underneath the golden light that gilded his patron's edges, screaming into the storm until he was hoarse and spent all of the pent-up nervous energy that had been festering inside him since yesterday. Sons what he wouldn't give to be doing that instead of dealing with the administrative fallout of the impromptu flight he had spun together since yesterday, or rather, the administrative fallout of the hunter deciding to attack yesterday. He sighed as he picked up the data pad again, flicking away the schedule tab and through to the tab where he was logged into the local hospital records on Kix's account. The medic had proven himself to be a rather willing accomplice and ally over the last few weeks, feeding him information on all manner of classified medical records the moment he had made his intentions clear. Apparently he wasn't the only one who despaired of his home's medical equipment and desired a change. Still, he was pretty sure that when Kix had given him permission to piggyback off his account to access medical information normally restricted to people who hadn't taken a healer's vow, he hadn't expected him to use it like this. Or perhaps he had. The clone medic was incredibly perceptive when he wanted to be, and if it weren't for a strong sense of respect for privacy and secrets, he suspected that Kix could tell him things that would send his head spinning. Then again, so could he. Searching idly through the system, Luke sighed as he came across exactly the thing he had been searching for, and yet the thing he'd hoped he wouldn't find. Looking through to the morgue files, he heaved another heavy sigh as he saw the first names crop up that had death causes listed that fell in line with the explosion and subsequent attack that they'd suffered through. Three, five, eight, too many. And this was just one hospital's morgue. He ran a hand over his face as he looked through the list. So many dead, and for what? For him? A nasty voice stirred in the back of his mind, reminding him that all that could have likely been avoided if he'd just cooperated with the hunters or been a bit quicker, or... He squashed the voice ruthlessly and snarled to himself. He wasn't going to indulge in that kind of thinking. He'd done what he could, and he wasn't the one who had rigged a whole hall with bombs. No, those hunters had had a plan, even long before he'd shown them his true colors, and they'd involved either the detonation or the threat of it. He took another fortifying sip from his mug and hummed low in his throat when another message notification popped up into the screen, the ID showing that it was another request from the Quadras to meet with them at their son's sickroom. They'd refused to leave Tyrion's side for anything so far, and unlike Luke, Tyrion hadn't been successful in convincing his fussing guardians that they still had jobs to do that couldn't be accomplished remotely. He tapped the ceramic of his monk for a few seconds as he contemplated the request before pressing this one away too. He would meet with them later, but for now, 
he still had more pressing matters. The room lit up with the pale blue flash of a lightning bolt, and thunder rattled the air barely a second later. Outside, the clouds were chasing through the air in never-ending swirls of gold and gray, hypnotic and beckoning as they poured out wind and weather over the land below. The storm was hunting, thundering, ripping, roiling, riding through the sky. Sons, he wanted to join the wild abandon of his patron way up high, take the nearest craft and just fly, let himself be blown about by the winds and ride the storm for however long it would deign to allow it. It was completely out of the question, though. Not only did he have responsibilities yet to be completed, Vader would pitch an absolute fit if he tried to leave the palace at this point. Sons, his home would probably pitch a fit even if he left the private wing with how hard the man's protective instincts were gnawing at him. It had taken nearly an hour of intense persuasion just to get him to leave Luke at the palace and return to his duties of hunting the hunters, mostly by pointing out the fact that despite what his instincts were telling him at the moment, Luke would be safer if he went out after the hunters and ended their threat rather than brooding over him and letting them regroup. That, and he had talked Vader through the process of seeing the palace as, effectively, a temporary nest, a place where Luke would be safe and guarded, and absolutely not liable to slip out and go after the hunters himself. A pointedly specific denial, little one, Vader had grumbled while wrapped around Luke like a blanket. It's what we both were thinking, don't deny it, he'd muttered back. But if it soothes your mind, I will stay put in the palace. I have my own charges to watch over. I know the pain of having to leave them behind to achieve a goal. If I can make it easier for you, I will. Vader had been silent for a moment, mulling over his words and sifting carefully through the gossamer strands of something that Luke could feel stretching from his core to Vader's, uniting them into one, emotions crashing up against the edges of his mind like the rending winds against the face of a cliff. He'd stood against it, letting himself wrap as much around Vader as the man did around him, and fed Vader as many of his own emotions of surety and safety and care as the man fed him from his own of worry and fear and desperation. Thank you, little star. He'd responded eventually, and that had been that. So no storm flying for him, no matter how badly he wanted to, really the things he did for his home. Lightning cut through the air like a jagged slash of light. And Luke sighed as he abandoned his data pad to the desk once more. He wasn't going to get anything done like this, not until he dealt with the growing, building, itching desire to face the storm and complete his duties, salt on his tongue, ozone in his lungs, and water and wind in his hair. He leaned back against the desk and sipped his mug again, the hot liquid doing wonders against his still somewhat high-strung nerves from the previous day, even if it was laced with calf. Tapping his fingers against the ceramic, he finally stopped fighting the path his mind wanted to take and began plotting out his next move in dealing with the storm. And perhaps the desert, too. He'd promised her a sacrifice, too, after all. First order of business would be to find and procure live animals, of course, or failing that, some exceptional cuts of meat, fruit, and high-quality alcohol. And if he had to guess where to find those things in the grandeur of the palace, it would be the kitchens. If not the former items, then the latter. 
He would need an earthenware bowl or something similar, too, with no iconography of Quant's native deities on it, if at all possible, and something to burn, wood, paper, anything would do, really. As long as it produced ash, it would suffice. Sand, too, or perhaps dust of the earth. He hummed along with the next thunderclap, watching the clouds outside race through the skies in their hypnotic whirls and whirls. The kitchens would probably be able to fulfill the first item on his list, if not the second, too, but he had a feeling he would have to brave the courtyard for the last. The courtyard packed to the brim with troopers, since, unlike the regular staff of the palace, in the Suta they didn't actually mind the rain and wind. Not that he did either, regardless of what he was wearing, but he wasn't exactly ready to have that many watchful eyes on him at once, especially since he knew that more than one would insist on escorting him around as chaperones, despite having argued Vader out of assigning him one again on the grounds that so shortly after doing everything to stay out of sight and unnoticed, he was not ready to be shadowed at every turn again. It had been a match-up between their instincts. Luke knew his home would have felt more at ease with a wall of armor following him around everywhere to deter any further attacks, but Luke would have been high-strung the entire way, knowing that he couldn't just slip away into the shadows at will. And while Vader clearly was no longer used to having to collaborate in these kinds of matters, Luke had been more than ready to remind him how it went. He suspected that Vader would have gone into a complete mother-hen brooding sulk, if it hadn't been for the fact that Luke had been largely covered in blood not his own during the negotiations between them. Whatever else the man may or may not be, he clearly still had a healthy respect for runners and runners alike, and Luke enforcing his position in his role as both had probably helped the man see him less as someone to be sequestered away and protected at all costs, and more as someone who had the proven competence to be trusted with their own safety. In the end, the results had been both simple and a compromise. If he couldn't leave the private wing of the palace until Vader returned from his duties, then Vader couldn't have him followed around whenever he left the chambers assigned to him. Neither had been entirely satisfied with that outcome, but in the end, they'd both come to the agreement that Luke continuing to wear his gear whenever he left his rooms was an acceptable compromise to both of their desires. Decked out with deadly toxins and lethal blades, He'd proven himself more than capable of protecting himself and others if needed. It had soothed something in both of them to know that he'd wear it, and he suspected that they would need to have a conversation in the future about some permanent exemption being made for him in the uniform code. None of that would help with his current predicament, though, but there was nothing else for it. He needed something like sand or dust if he was going to do the ritual right, and if it came from outside, all the better for it. Lightning flashed again, illuminating the frescoed walls of his chambers and the long bookcases stacked to the brim that lined the walls. Gilded titles and author names flashed in the light as he took another sip from his mug, and he wondered how long the storm would remain present after it had gotten its dues from him. It tended to linger no matter the circumstances, but it always lingered longer the more powerful its presence was. With the force it had brought to bear this time, he wouldn't be surprised if its presence lasted well into the night, perhaps even the next day. It certainly wouldn't leave without taking its dues, though, and he'd let it wait for long enough. Emptying the last of his mug, savoring it as much as possible while he slung its contents down, Luke pushed off of the desk and left the mug behind. 
He had a new objective to occupy himself with until Vader wrangled the last of the hunters into submission, and there was really no point in waiting. Rounding the desk, he made his way over to the small seating corner situated near the bookcases, the ornate and engraved silver calf table there still holding the book he'd started in vain a couple hours before his restlessness refused to be ignored any longer. He fished up the heavy black cloak that he'd slowly come to consider his from where it had been draped over the back of the chair and swung it over his shoulders, the familiar heavy weight settling in comfortably. It had been long cleaned of the many bloodstains that had been scattered all over it, and a pervasive scent of iron and rust no longer clung to its lining. Still, even with the loss of that significant intimidation factor, he still loved it for the way it obscured his silhouette, treasuring it for the familiarity it gave him from his runner gear back home, even if this one was far heavier and darker than any cloak he would wear as the wraith. Black simply didn't blend in as well with dusty red of the Cashmere Ridge in the sunset, the pale yellow and cream of the sand and salt of the salt flats and dune sea and burning midday, or the dark blues of the midnight sky and oasis shadows. But this wasn't Tatooine, and he was under no illusions that his own preferences for black wouldn't align him firmly with his home in the minds of many. Good. He wouldn't have it any other way. And after the battle they'd done back-to-back -back yesterday, he figured people ought to understand that neither he nor Vader were going to take kindly to people trying to split them up, and that there would be nasty consequences for those who tried anyway. He breathed deeply and took firm hold of his last thoughts as he began to check his weapons and gear, too angry. He needed to calm down if he was going to leave his rooms again and roam the halls. The people here had done nothing to deserve his anger, and Vader was already angry enough at those that did for the both of them, and he'd need a clear head if he was going to keep himself safe if anyone had stolen into these walls and decided to make a move that deserved his anger nonetheless. Sliding his blade back into place and keeping the sheath prominently displayed on his forearm instead of in his boot, he restrung his tether along the modified holster and shrugged his shoulders one last time to get the cloak to sit just right. Pulling his hood up over his head, the wool brushing along the braids he'd redone after yesterday's sonic. He nearly left the chambers then and there if it weren't for one last item on the calf table catching his eye. The mask. A half-amused notion of taking it with him bubbled up in his mind, and he almost brushed it off immediately except, well, except he really didn't have anything better right now when it came to something to conceal his face. He'd seen masks decorate rooms in the palace, beautiful, elegant, ornate and extravagant objects clearly intended more for display whether worn or not, and not in the least bit inconspicuous considering the apparent mandatory use of either bright colors or copious amounts of gold paint. There was always the option of using a scarf or the like, of course, but he'd learned over the years of being a runner that when you needed to be light on the foot and swift on the wind, scarves, no matter how securely pinned down, had nothing on a good mask tied securely to one's head. Huffing out a laugh and silently promising himself not to let Valmora know about his continued temporary use of the mask, if at all possible, he grabbed the thing and with a few quick knots it was dangling from his belt, kept out of sight by the cloak. Resuming his path, Luke found himself standing in front of the door that would lead him out of his chambers, 
a large, needlessly ornate thing that depicted in fine detail a strange creature that resembled a lanky, graceful erex with wings and strangely branching horns, hooves, and far shorter tail. Gently brushing a hand over the detail work, he wondered if Tyrion or Zev would have been able to tell him the name of the creature, as well as its significance. As it stood, he knew nothing but the fact that the artisan responsible had dedicated a great effort to its creation, and that the metal it was made out of felt pleasantly cool against his forehead when he rested it against the door. Breathing deeply, evenly, he reached deep within himself and pulled his mind into that of a runner, calm, deliberate, and, most of all, unseen. Eyes clear when he opened them again, he reached for the release switch on the door. With a light tread and the whispering rustle of fabric, Luke flipped up the hood of his cloak and slipped out the door into the hallways beyond. There were people out in the halls of the palace, but then he had a feeling there would always be people bustling about in a building this size no matter the time of day. Gliding forward on Cat's feet, he felt the gazes of fellow passers-through shift over to him before gliding right back off and flitting away once again, as if swept away by the flaring hem of his cloak. His dark silhouette probably commanded more attention when contrasted against the colors of the palace, but his techniques and a light storm shield of disparate and vague emotions kept most people from getting a good enough look to truly recognize or remember him. Keeping his tread light nearly silent helped with the rest. It was enough. And then it wasn't. The moment he left the quiet halls of the private rooms, the hustle and bustle of the palace swelled to a crescendo, with pages and maids and guards of all stripes bustling around. Eventually the first eye landed on him that managed to stick, and with the first came many others. Some whispers followed in his wake, dodging his steps like pups determined to get underfoot and pawed his legs for attention. He could feel the gazes follow him as he strode through the hallways, even half-hidden under his cloak as he was. Granted, he was used to being watched and whispered over from the lady, but this felt different. Tinged with a newfound wariness and suspicion that felt as familiar as it was disheartening, he laughed quietly, mirthlessly, as he realized that the people here around him had apparently finally seen in him what had so ostracized him back home. He hadn't been lying yesterday in the hall when he'd told Tyrion he'd had few friends before joining the lady. He was never quite sure what it had been, but something in him marked him out as too different for people back home to truly connect with or sometimes even trust. Enough to be part of the community, to be allowed into the public spaces and accepted as part of the whole, but always on the fringes, always kept just at arm's length who had been present during his naming ceremony to become a runner were never wholly at ease around him after that day. Mostly, yes, but much like you never fully trusted a tame animal from the wild, even as they gave the word that the crate migration had been spotted, or that a spirit shrine had gone restless after some troublemakers had defaced it, a wariness that drifted around them like a gossamer veil, keeping them just out of reach. It wasn't a fair judgment to make, he knew. Even as he'd made his vow to the storm, he'd been warned that runners lived on the fringes of society, close to the wilds where their patron's power was strongest, with only their fellows of similar vows and perhaps a trusted few to keep them company. That a runner's very presence eroded away at the borders between civilization and the wilds, 
inviting in the animals and entities that had no concept of home. But still, even as he'd never regretted his vows, he didn't understand what it was that seemed to make people eye him with wariness on near instinct, as if it were something deeper than merely themselves. But they'd done their best. And even though he'd had to weather some of the casual cruelty that only children could really master, he'd never been cast out or harmed, merely watched, held at arm's length, but not harmed, not ostracized. They didn't know what to make of him, didn't know how to trust him, but they'd wanted him near all the same, wanted him to stay, and treated him with as much kindness and compassion as they could when there was little trust behind the gestures. They'd tried so hard for him. It had been enough. So he'd done his duties, fulfilled his roles, and even as all but a few never truly lost that hint of wariness around them, seeming only to gain more of it the older he grew, he'd never truly minded it. He didn't fit in with his uncle and aunt's home, not truly, and that was all right. He'd found something of his own on the edge of the night and day, where the wilds began as the community ended, and they whispered on the winds. He'd watched over them as their masked protector of few words for as long as he could. It didn't make sense to him, that wariness that always found its way into the cracks. But he'd been content to grow up on the edge of the wilds, looking up at the stars and dreaming of the day he could join them, dreaming of more than the hand he'd been dealt. On the lady, it had seemed to make even less sense. People were weird and strange and new, yes, but there seemed to be a place for him there, odd as it was. He'd found friends, more of them than he'd ever had before, and interaction was easy. The pilots, the troopers, the Vendée accepted him amongst their ranks. His engineers warmed up to his style of leadership, and there'd been no wariness there, not amongst the stars. Protectors, it seemed, were exactly what the people aboard the Lady had needed protectors and perhaps someone who eased off the rigid borders of military life a bit. But now it seemed that wariness had finally traveled the breadth of distance between Tatooine and Quat to find the people here. With a sigh he reached towards his belt, thumbing the mask that was still hanging there. It was a ridiculous thing, but perhaps... He glanced forward into the hall, bustling with activity. People were carrying loads of freshly folded table linen into the dining halls. Cleaning droids ran along the floors, leaving glistening trails in their wake as they picked up any dirt and dust. And officials walked past, talking into comms as they went. And then they spotted him. People stopped what they were doing to watch him glide by, nudging their companions who he would have slipped past just fine into paying attention. Where before he'd have woven through the crowds, now they parted to let him through, never taking their eyes off of him, even the little droids scuttled out of his way, twittering in binary about letting the... What? Let the prince through! One of the little droids chirped, seemingly the ringleader with how the others swarmed around them and followed them out of the way. Patterned in silver and blue, he didn't recognize their make, but if he had to guess, he'd say that they were custom designed for the Quadras, judging by their paint job. But none of that mattered to him when they repeated their phrase, Let the prince through! Staring at the little droids, scuttling around the floor in geometric patterns around their nexus point, Luke could only blink. What had they just called him? I'm, I'm sorry, sir. 
A voice suddenly spoke off to his right, and he glanced up to find a lady approaching him, her hands full with a tray of silverware. Kitted out in the quantic colors and the uniform of those in service to them, he was curious to see that her hair was as silver as the embroidery on her uniform, despite looking to be no older than her fifties. But were they bothering you? she asked tentatively, glancing over to the clustering droids, curiosity and wariness burning through her. We can remove them if so. Sir, he greeted with a dip of his head, offering her a warm smile before turning back to the droids. And no, nothing like that he assured her quickly. It was merely something they said that caught my attention. Prince, they'd called him Prince, and he wasn't about to fool himself into thinking that they meant to indicate someone else. They'd scuttled out of the way for him, and they'd called him Prince. Something they said, sir, she said, doubt flaring up. He glanced at her, catching her doubtful eyes, and grinned. Binary, Miss, hmm. It seemed his manners had slipped. Aunt Beru would be disappointed. I'm sorry, I don't believe I caught your name? A flash of surprise and a look that snapped up towards his face. Silver eyes, much like her hair and uniform and even the cutlery she was carrying. How curious. My name, sir? She asked carefully. He raised an eyebrow and tilted his head, still smiling, prompting her to start as realization sparked to life. Ah, she muttered, a small smile appearing on her own face this time. But of course, sir, Miss Argento at your service, she introduced, dipping into a curtsy. Lie. It took everything within him not to react to how sharply the lie snapped through the air. A pleasure to meet you, Miss Argento, he greeted pleasantly, the title feeling metallic on his tongue as it slipped out, his guard rising high even as he let his posture open up. Whoever this was, she wasn't, Miss Argento. And with how harshly the lie rung through the air, he didn't doubt that she not only knew it, she embraced it, for whatever reason of her own. How curious. Likewise, sir, she prompted him in turn, mischievous smile on her face even as something sharp ghosted past his storm shield. And, well, now he knew that she was trying to play him, perhaps even succeeding, perhaps not, but at least he knew to play along. Engineer Lars, sir, he introduced himself with a bow, not believing for a second that she was unaware of his name. And it seemed that she knew it, too. The sharpness withdrew sharply, and something snapped shut around her. Ah. It seemed the dance had begun then. They both knew, they both understood— two dancers on a stage of lies. He smiled quietly at her, watching her carefully and seeing only a single flicker of something in her eyes, even as the air around her roiled with emotion. But it was muted, somehow, like seeing the world through frosted glass. He carefully prodded at what he could sense, finding it hard to make it yield its secrets, but catching glimpses of true form and shape. Curious, curious, curious. She regarded him for a moment, just a moment, nothing so long that it would be obvious, and a free zone of suspicion and intrigue whispered around her. Then she smiled, and Luke could honestly say that he was impressed with how genuine it looked, with all the right laugh lines and dimples. Whoever she was, she was an experienced dancer. A pleasure, Engineer Lars, 
she repeated with a dip of her head, tilting it slightly in his direction. And Luke noted with some surprise that he couldn't find a lie this time. Now I believe you're having an issue with something the droid said. Prince. He... He wasn't sure what to make of that. Wasn't sure if he ought to make anything of that at all. Whatever it was, though, he wasn't trusting her with it. There was nothing much, sir. He dismissed as casually as he could, eyeing the little droids going about their business as if deep in thought. Not that that took much in the manner of acting. They merely addressed me with a title I wasn't expecting. That caught her attention, and he noted that if the spike of nebulous but negative emotions that Miss Argent too experienced didn't mean that she knew exactly what he was talking about, he'd eat his knife. Ah, she muttered, eyeing the little droids with a blank expression. Yes, I can see how that would be surprising. He eyed her for a moment, weighing his options. On the one hand, she seems to be somewhat caught off guard by him. On the other, she clearly had the wisdom of experience, and was walking the halls of the private wing, either vetted by the quarters like every other staff member, or good enough that she could slip in regardless. On a third hand, he was still armed and fresh off of the taste of blood in his teeth. And even if she was armed as well, he had the terrain advantage. The aforementioned courtyard full of troopers, for one. Fuck it. You seem to know why they call me Prince, he muttered lowly, keeping an eye on her only from the corner of his eye. A mere miscommunication, she immediately lied smoothly and through her teeth, and he had to be impressed by how her voice spun the words into such an easy contradiction of reality. When the staff had to be informed of your status, there was no real term for protégé of Lord Vader in their vocabulary, and we had to improvise. She shrugged and grimaced apologetically even as deception hung thick in the air. My apologies for the confusion. He raised a single eyebrow, an expression as flat as he could make it. Sir, you'll need to lie better than that if you want to convince me that binary has no word for protege. The series of twittering bleeps that made up the word rolled off his tongue and it sparked something very, very petty and very, very gratifying inside of him to see Miss Argentu's mask break all at once into staring disbelief. The question, how the fuck did you do that with your mouth, was as clear on her face as it had always been with Biggs, and he almost, almost laughed at it. Honestly, he deserved an acting award with how straight he was keeping his face. They stared at each other. Locked in a stalemate as Miss Argentu's demeanor quickly shifted from baffled incomprehension to a single flash of fear, to a flash of burning rage, to a resigned acceptance, to simple annoyance. Impressively, while her face stayed perfectly blank, that wouldn't do. You mean to convince me binary truly has no word for protege? He asked sweetly, still not breaking eye contact as he repeated the twittering string of bleeps in binary, daring her to answer him. Miss Argentu held it for a moment, and slowly opened her mouth. It doesn't in the quarry dialect, she lied to his face. Damn, she was good. He broke out into a bright grin. Sure it doesn't, sir, he agreed with no real sincerity, but what's the real reason? She narrowed her eyes, and he kept an even smile. This wasn't a part of the dance, and he knew it, 
but he was feeling bold and wanted to see what would happen. She'd hidden her lies as well as anyone could without twisting the truth, and he was curious what she would do now. You know, sir, Miss Argentu began, her voice light and idle. I don't know. Lie. But he didn't even care. This was the most fun he'd had in a while. You're not going to tell me no matter what I say, are you? he asked, already knowing the answer but deciding to commit to the bit. Don't know what you're talking about, sir. She answered him airily, and yeah, that was about what he had expected. Well then, he sighed, still smiling lightly. Let me change the subject to something you will know something about. Straightened and squared off shoulders, a little tilt of his head, the disappearance of the laugh lines around his eyes. Really, it was incredible how just a mild shift in posture could change the whole tone of a conversation. Your name is not... Miss Argentu, he noted quietly, mindful of any listening ears in the hallway. And after the last time someone blatantly lied to my face about their name quite literally blew up in it. And here Argentu finally seemed to catch on to his angle as she tensed up. I need to know something critical, sir, he continued quietly. If I present a question about your presence to the Quadras, will they know who I'm talking about, and will you have been cleared to be here? His charges were in the building. Many of his friends were in this building. The Quadras, kind people, but also important allies, were in this building. He'd go to the hilt to protect them if the answer to this question wasn't satisfactory. For her part, Miss Argentu regarded him calmly for a moment, weighing his presence as her thoughts churned around her. They know who I am, she eventually answered, honesty ringing out like a bell. And they know I am here? Another truth. Well, then, that was enough. Thank you, he muttered, offering a small, genuine smile that broadened when he received a flash of surprise and a small smile in return. That's all? she asked. No other questions? No proof that I'm telling the truth? That's all, he affirmed. Looking back to where the little droids were still zooming along the hallway floor, twittering in binary as they coordinated their patterns and bickered about which one they ought to do next. Then why would I? He asked in turn, giving her a significant look. You did tell the truth. So I did, she muttered quietly. Would you then answer me a question, sir? Depending on what it is, he agreed easily. Not foolish enough by half to promise her anything he wasn't prepared to bear the consequences for. Something that earned him an approving grin before her face turned serious again. You saved the Quara air, she stated quietly, turning to ostensibly watch the droids like he was. But he saw her eyes flick around the hallway much like his whenever he glanced at her, checking for listening ears or watching eyes. So I did, he agreed smiling when one of the little droids spun out after an especially heated argument. He knelt down and held out a hand towards it, laughing quietly when the little droid immediately zipped over to hide behind it, twittering curses in binary at its offending co-workers while rubbing against his prosthesis like an affectionate loth cat. What will you demand in return? He froze in place from where he had been patting the little droid as it buzzed around his hand, glancing up towards Argentu finding her to be looking down at him with every ounce of seriousness that he'd hoped he hadn't actually felt in her demeanor. 
he nearly groaned. This again. Any debt incurred has already been repaid in full as far as I am concerned, he replied. Perhaps a bit too tersely, and the answer sounding as rote as anything, but he'd hoped to avoid it at least once. This was why he never lingered around family reunions whenever he completed a flight on request. Even if privacy wasn't the main concern, families always got so hung up on perceived debts and the like. Still, he knew how to deal with this, hopefully, mostly. Is it now? she muttered, doubt and challenge snapping at both their heels as silver eyes narrowed, lines deepening in Argentu's face until she looked every bit as old as her silver hair implied, if one didn't look any closer. That's a hell of a debt of forgive, sir. Especially just like that. A part of the bargain struck, he supplied as lightly as he could, softly patting the little droid in front of him and pointedly not looking at the mysterious lady. In return for my aid, Tyrion agreed to obey my command without question until we returned to safety again. He gave the little droid one last pat and straightened up out of his crouch, dusting off his hands while giving Argentu a significant look. He upheld his end of the bargain, I upheld mine. With our return to safety it dissolved, and with it, any obligations it might have still upheld followed suit. Lies, lies, lies. He doubted he could stop feeling responsible for or protective of his charges, even if his life depended on it. Sons, the fact that he couldn't was arguably the whole point of taking a charge within his wings. He had no illusions that that particular ability gifted by the storm wasn't crafted by his patron to make a runner as devoted as they possibly could be to the safety of whomever it connected them to. But it made for a good line to tell to these kinds of families. Clean, clinical, and cutting them loose of any perceived obligations or responsibilities. The completion of a contract in the legal sense, instead of the spiritual and social one, an easy, sweet, and kind lie for a family to believe in a turbulent time, when the worst was perhaps behind them, but their difficulties were only just beginning. They usually took it eagerly, anything to get a clean exit and leave the area as fast as they could to begin a life far, far away from the place that had caused them such misery. Argentu seemed to be determined to be one of the hard cases, though, and doubt laced with annoyance flared up around her. I see, she muttered, crossing her arms. I'm glad you do, sir, he snarked back, eager to get up and move on out of this conversation. This was skirting far too close to the lines of the cautionary tales about runners who asked more than they were due and got wiped by the storm or desert or sons, even just their disciples managing their own. Now, if you'll excuse me, I was on the way to the kitchen before I got distracted he finished tersely. He was not continuing this conversation. Maybe it gave more away about him to Argentu than was strictly wise, but he was tired and still not firing on all cylinders after yesterday's exertion. So sue him he didn't want to slog his way through another careful social dance in order to decline whatever scheme the Quadras had cooked up about getting their son back. A scheme on which he was rather certain Argentu was the advanced scout at least in some capacity. Right, Argento agreed, straightening up and affecting a smile that was far more at ease than the shifting miasma of discomfort, alarm, and dread that had suddenly sprung up around her. Allow me to escort you to them, sir. It's easy to lose your way in the hallways unless you're familiar with them. 
He should refuse. He ought to refuse. And damn whatever it was that reeked like a trap and clung to Argentu's last sentences. Sure, why not, is what he ended up saying instead, stepping aside lightly to indicate Argentu could take the lead, as long as he refrained from further interrogation. Another step in the dance that wasn't what Argentu was used to, judging by the slight narrowing of her eyes. Merely curiosity, sir, she assured him with a tight smile, taking the lead as indicated. My apologies if I crossed a line. Now we both know that's a lie, he muttered in return, falling into line. Inform the Quarters that, while I understand there in your anxieties, because he was starting to get a pretty good suspicion of who, or rather what, Miss Argentu might truly be after this line of inquiry, to demand more payment than was agreed to or is needed for the services I rendered is considered a grave offense at best and a capital crime at worst where I come from. He grinned without humor when he saw Miss Argentu's back abruptly stiffen. There's no doubt from where I'm standing, Miss Argentu, he repeated quietly, gently. It's been paid in full. They walked quietly for a moment, passing by various servants who stared at them both curiously and responded with everything from hastily averted eyes to shy smiles when he greeted them with a nod and a grin. Then... I will inform them of it, sir, Miss Argentu agreed quietly, glancing back over her shoulder with a curious hard look in her eyes that reflected a hardness within. And thank you for your cooperation. Luke very carefully kept his face blank, while a flash of amusement burned through the air surrounding them. Oh, so that was how they were playing it, were they? Thank you for showing the courage necessary to do what so far no one else has dared, he returned mildly, biting back a laugh when another flash of amused annoyance followed the first. Oh, yeah, he definitely enjoyed this more than he should, but what could he say? He liked the bold and the brave over the people who seemed to be cowering at the mere sight of him. They walked further through the halls of the private wing, trying to pull more information out of each other as they went rarely admitting that that was what they were doing, of course, and while they both blocked as many of the attempts as they could, he had the feeling that they were both still walking away with more information than they anticipated. Such as the fact that the quant media cycle had gone absolutely rabid over the incident, with reporters apparently being camped outside of the palace. Apparently the troopers had taken some glee in enforcing the perimeter around the palace, and if he had to bet... He'd say at least one Vod would have taken the opportunity to demonstrate the suit's enhanced strength via the newly invented sport of reporter long toss. The Quadras and Admiral Piet seemed to have a lid on the situation so far, but he would, apparently, have to prepare himself to likely be expected to make some kind of press appearance at a later date. That was unexpected, and potentially problematic. Though at least he had some prior experience, that was something, yes, he could probably wing it through this. He shouldn't, though, he was pretty sure he shouldn't. He still probably could, though. Sighing out quietly, he eyed Miss Argentu, who was very pointedly not looking back over her shoulder at him after that revelation, even as he could feel the amusement and suppressed laughter rolling off of her. He'd deal with this at a later time, alongside the mountain of other issues and projects and promises and... <sighs> He'd address it later. There would be time. For now, though, he had a shopping list to check off and a good location for the appeasement of his patron to find. Speaking of which... And there we are, sir, Miss Argentu announced as she rounded the last corner of winding hallways 
to reveal an archway bustling with activity, people coming and going with arms and hovercarts laden with all kinds of things. He could see burnished copper workstations piled high with equally shiny pots and pans simmering and boiling away, steam curling up through the air everywhere he looked, and ovens firing on all cylinders while the cooks prepared the food. The staff was yelling at each other even as they worked like oiled machinery, spinning in and out of each other's orbits with practiced ease, laughter and fondness weaving their way through the determination, focus, and professionalism that hung thick within the kitchen. It was a mesmerizing buzz of activity that had Luke grinning despite himself, the emotions here fiercer and lighter than any of the sober airs that had affected the rest of the palace so far, so caught up in the shifting and yet ever-consistent clockwork of the kitchens, he nearly missed it when Miss Argentu slipped by him and began to move through the kitchen, sticking to the sidelines of the pathways that cooks and chefs hurried through to get to whatever part of the kitchen they needed. Following along closely behind her, they quickly beelined towards the chef, shouting orders over the din of the staff working, the silver stitching on the collar of their navy-blue uniform just a tad more fanciful than that of the rest, Miss Argentu drew their attention and quickly beckoned them over, exchanging a few quiet words after a stern glance from the chef before they marched over towards Luke, back ramrod straight and eyes steely. Sir, Miss Argentu said when they came to a halt in front of him, allow me to introduce Chef Rastil. They are the one in charge of the kitchens of the palace and all things food-related. Engineer Lance, they greeted with a quick but deep bow. What brings you to my domain? Returning the bow with a shallow one of his own and a quick smile, Luke decided to cut the pleasantries and get right down to business. He had a feeling that Chef Rastille wouldn't appreciate this taking any more time than it needed to, and looking at the kitchen they ran, he could see why. A pleasure to meet you, Chef, he greeted, and, well, perhaps not all the pleasantries. He didn't think Aunt Brew would ever forgive him if she found out he'd been rude to someone who served him food. I'll get to the point. He promised quickly once he saw Chef Ferristeel's eyes and emotions begin to narrow down to a simmering point of annoyance with even those few words. I'm in need of a couple of specific items with some haste, and unless I'm gravely mistaken, I believe you should know where I can get them. Now that earned him some sparks of intrigue, and Ferristeel eyed him curiously. Name them and I'll see what I can do, they agreed after a moment, crossing their arms. It was as good as any permission. I need either one large animal still alive, or a couple small animals also still alive, he began, and something laughing brushed through the back of his mind when both Miss Argentu's and Chef Rastille's eyes shot up into their hairlines. Failing that, I would request a few cuts of raw prime meat and a small bottle of high-grade alcohol, along with possibly some fruit, he continued on, keeping his face blank even as the chef's eyes narrowed slightly with every item listed. I'll need two plain ceramic bowls, one or two smaller ceramic cups, and a small bundle of wood or paper dry enough to light on fire. For a moment no one said anything after he completed his list, and Luke was content to stand there in the din of kitchen sounds while both the chef and Miss Argentu processed his requests. I'll pay for all of it, naturally, he added on after a second, because he should probably clarify that on some level here. Quant seemed to place value on that sort of thing, after all. Verastil looked at him for one more moment before blinking slowly and nodding once. Right, they declared. I don't want to know. They closed their eyes for a moment, tapping a finger as thoughts swirled heavy and thick through the air with contemplation. 
We do have an aviary for the various fowl we cook regularly, they revealed. And Luke perked up at the prospect of actually being able to get his hands on proper sacrifices. Those will do just fine, he assured eagerly. As long as they're clean and healthy, they're exactly what I'm looking for. Right then, Verastiel muttered while waving over one of the kitchen staff members rushing around with a cart full of food. I'll send someone to get the other items requested and meet you at the aviary while you pick out whichever fowl you need, sir. Any further specifics? No religious iconography on anything, Luke promptly supplied. I don't know exactly what the reaction would be, but I don't think it would be pretty. The plainer in appearance, the better. That earned him another slow blink, but Verastil nodded swiftly. Right, they agreed. I still don't want to know, but I will make note of that. With that, they nodded over towards the young kitchen aide who'd approached them while they were conversing. Bale here will lead you towards the aviary and will help you pick up your fowls, sir, they rattled off curtly. Now, if you will excuse me, I will get someone on retrieving or other requested items and then return to my duties. One more thing, sir, Luke quickly cut in. How shall we arrange payment for the items? Rusty looked at him for a long, flat moment. Sir, with all due respect, they began, expression never twitching, and Luke mentally tacked on, you idiot, at the end of that sentence. The Lord and Lady Quarrel would roast me with a red wine glaze in my own oven if I allowed you to pay a single credit for these items. Ah, well then, it seemed hospitality was a factor here, too. Thank you very much for your aid in that case, Chef Rustio, he said, trying for a smile as he offered a shallow bow and to not let words affect him too much. It's much appreciated. Sefer still merely made their exit with another deep bow and left him to face Bayo and Miss Argentou on his own. Glancing between the two, he found Miss Argentou looking at him with one perfectly raised eyebrow, while the kitchen aide named Bayo nervously fidgeted in place. Right. He needed to get rid of one of them. Thank you for your assistance, Miss Argentou, he said with a smile, bowing shallowly but pointedly. It's much appreciated. I'll retrieve my items and be on my way then. It had taken some doing, but Vader was, if nothing else, an excellent example of how to deliver a dismissal without having to be overly blunt about it, and he wouldn't tolerate her intruding on what would follow after he acquired the sacrifices necessary. Thankfully, she seemed to recognize the dismissal for what it was, and returned his bow with her own. "'My pleasure, sir,' she agreed, curiosity sparking all around, but not showing on her face for even a moment as she offered him a quick nod. I'll see you around, then. I sure hope so, he agreed with a small smile as she slipped by him, disappearing back into the ever-moving crowds in mere seconds. Honestly, he hoped he would see her again. He had a feeling there was a lot more yet to the spy than he'd been able to glimpse in this one interaction. I, I, um, the poor kitchenaid said behind them, fidgeting nervously when Luke turned back around. Shall we, shall we go, then, to gear fowl, sir? We shall. He agreed calmly, biting back a snicker when the poor aide jerked into a nod and turned around on their heels to stalk off towards a back entrance in the kitchen. Following behind quietly, Luke let Bale lead him through hallways that were both narrower and far less grandiose than the rest of the palace, with the way they were constantly being patrolled by various staff members and no one else, he'd guessed they'd enter the service quarters of the palace. Thankfully, they didn't seem to need to go too far as Bayo took a sharp turn in the direction of the courtyard, only a few lengths away from the kitchen. Turning through a few more passageways, Bayo finally pushed open a door that led into the outside. Well, 
they announced as a din of clucking, tripping, squawking, and cooing rose up to greet them. Here we are, sir, the aviary. Stepping through the door, Luke was greeted by the sight of what he could only describe as a small oasis, with trees and shrubs dotting a grassy field and a small fountain clattering away towards the back wall of a huge meshwork dome that encapsulates it at all. Glass arched over the very top of it, rain rattled against it, and the entire meshwork seemed to glisten with gold, as the golden light from the storm above reflected through the drops clinging to the metalwork a gilded cage in the most literal sense of the word. And everywhere, quite literally everywhere, and there were birds of species that he'd never seen before. Birds clad in feathers as bright and eye-catching as could be in their metallic blues and purples, shimmering in the light as they apparently tried to woo those decked out in simple earthy browns and greys by flicking their large tails and wings back and forth shuffling along the ground in those strangely jerking motions that somewhat resembled a dance. He could feel the hope and dedication to the dance like threads in the air, but the dazzling display of colors and coordination unfortunately still seemed to leave the other birds less than impressed as they went after a small bug that scurried by, leaving the poor dancers dejected for a moment before they promptly started dancing again with renewed hope. They were small, scuttling birds— with white bellies and creamy brown backs that were dotted all over with what could only be described as specks of neon blue, silly little orbs of feathers that traveled the ground in flocks, chirruping as they froze mid-run, standing up as straight as possible on their legs, little necks and bodies stretched up as far as they could go as they scanned their surroundings, before speeding off again as one, leaving a feeling of safety and belonging in their wake. Large lumbering birds clad in soft greys with pink bellies entered the fountain waters in pairs, taking on a grace he hadn't expected as they glided over the water's surface before diving under, surfacing as one in a strange spiral motion that sent water splashing everywhere, a fish in each of their beaks that they tenderly exchanged, twining their necks together as they languished in their mutual adoration for a moment. Birds galloped along the ground on all fours wings folded so that they may be walked on, squabbling and squawking at each other as they raced through the thickets, feather crests flared high into a mane that rustled with red and black in posturing aggression. A squabble turned heated, and with a piercing cry, all participants scattered in a flurry of feathers as they took to the trees to continue squawking at each other from opposite branches, seemingly fighting simply for the joy of the game." Luke looked around with wide eyes and a small grin, marveling at the riot of colors and sounds that surrounded him from the trees, the bushes, the water, the grass. Birds were everywhere, simply living their lives and doing what birds did as their lives permeated every nook and cranny of the aviary. "'Well then, sir,' Bayo said, coming up beside him and setting their hands on their side for a moment. "'This is it, I guess. This is our flock.' Luke turned back towards watching the birds for a moment seeing their lives play out, knowing he was planning to cut too short. As he'd requested, though, they were all clean, happy, healthy animals. The storm would like that. "'See any you like?' Peo asked quietly, wringing their hands, and Luke realized he'd yet to answer. "'Many,' he admitted honestly. "'But I only need two. He glanced around the little birds nearest to him, not wanting to intrude any further than he already had with the fact that he'd be taking two of the members of this little ecosystem away. Any recommendations for what'll be the least disruptive to take? He asked quietly. 
Pompeo startled at being addressed, but recovered quickly enough to glance around the birds. How, oh, um, they muttered as they glanced everything over. Probably two male gillies, I should think, they suggested tentatively. The hens would definitely be missed by the other hens and cocks, if only for a moment. And the Verto and Red Waktu are always a bit off kilter for a few hours when we take one of their flock members. You could take a mated Erden pair, but it would have to be a mated pair, or their partners are liable to die of a broken heart. Well, now. And the gillies are? He prompted carefully, looking over the various birds. I've never seen any of them before, so I'm afraid I'm a little behind on their names. Bayo blinked before something seems to occur to him. Oh, right. They looked around for a second before pointing out the bird's covered beak to talon in metallic blues and purples. Those right there. The hens form small flocks, but the cocks tend to compete for them, so there's no love lost there. If you take two away, there won't be much more than a momentary panic before everything's calm again. They hesitated for a moment. They're much loved for their meat and plumage, too, if that helps, they added in a mutter. And their bones make for great stock. Luke chuckled as he eyed the two birds. They were certainly a sight to behold, he had to admit that much. It won't help much, he admitted, but every little bit helps in this case. The storm would appreciate their strengths all the same, he knew that much. A pity the bones would have to be burnt to ashes, though. Ah, well, time to get to the heart of the matter. Any tips on how to catch and transport them? He asked Bale while loosening his shoulders with a roll. Bale startled as their head whipped around to face Luke. I mean, if you pin their wings to their side, they just, they just kind of give up, Bayo stammered out, and, well, that was handy to know. Luke shrugged his cloak back and over his shoulders to get it out of the way, eyeing up the two closest gillies in their shimmering plumage. They'd probably go for his eyes the moment he made his intentions clear, and he could see spurs on the backs of their legs that he didn't doubt could do some serious damage if he let them. He'd have to move quickly and confidently then, and not hesitate for a moment to pin them down. He'd probably still get some kind of nasty bite out of it, but that was the name of the game when wrangling animals. He just hoped they weren't poisonous, or worse, venomous. The things he did for his patron. Squaring his shoulders while projecting his strongest, I'm doing this and there is nothing you can do to stop me attitude towards the birds, he stepped forward and set to work. The two nearest male gillies didn't even notice him approach until he was almost right on top of them, and even then all they could do was look up and hiss at him before... Sir, sir, you really don't want to... Ben called up behind him. But with one swift movement, Luke was already leaning down, head angled back just in case, and grabbed the first gilly by the neck just to keep it in place and gather the wings in his other hand. He needed to pin the wings now, did he? Well, at least that he knew how to do. And this bird wasn't even trying to sink its teeth into him, or claw him, or really anything now that he had it by the neck and wings. Apparently it really did just give up once it was caught. The bird hissed at him, squawking indignantly as its anger and fear flared, but with its wings held in one hand and its neck in the other, it really couldn't stop him as he forced the wings to its side and the bird down to the ground. He pinned it in with his knees and leaned down just far enough on top of it that it couldn't escape. One down, one to go. Honestly, that had gone a bit better than he'd expected it to go. He hadn't gained any new scars yet. The other gillies didn't seem to be inclined to attack him to protect their fellow at a glance, and what little the bird was struggling was nothing he couldn't handle. Only the Nartak at the Darklighter farm were worse to round up than this gilly was. Those went for his eyes and the nose to say nothing of the kestrels during hunting season. 
More than a little pleased with himself, he looked up to see if Bayo had gotten anything for him to move the bird in, or if he would have to improvise a harness with his tether to keep it from flapping and flying all over the place the moment he let the bird get out of the pin. Unfortunately, the KitchenAid was merely staring at him in unblinking shock as something stunned and warm drifted through the air. Great. Do you have anything to transport this guy in, or am I going to have to think of something myself? He asked pointedly, snapping Bayo out of whatever trance had gotten to them. Uh, right, they agreed, quickly looking around, before scrambling off back to the door, hopefully to get something to keep the bird in. Luke watched them go before looking back down at the bird he had pinned. Let's hope they get back in a timely manner, huh? He muttered to the ghillie, snorting when the bird answered him with a venomous hiss. Yeah, it's a fair reaction, he agreed quietly. Looking over his shoulder, he found Bale rummaging around in a wall cupboard, eventually managing to pull out two bird harnesses, bag-like contraptions with strategically placed attachment points and openings so that they could be wrapped around the body of the bird and pin the wings and feet in place, slip them on, zip them up, add in a beak guard if necessary, and you could carry them with little trouble. Shaking out one of the harnesses, Bayo jogged back up to him, holding out the harness for him to slip the ghillie in. Working his arms around the body of the bird to keep it pinned, he heaved it up and, with some care, dumped it into the harness in one swift motion. All right, that's one down, he declared cheerfully while zipping up the harness as the ghillie hissed at them. I'll go get the other one then. Which would be a bit harder now that the birds knew to be wary of him, but sons he'd done with worse over the last few days, leaving a very confused bayo to hold the thoroughly unhappy ghillie strapped snugly around its harness bag. He went after the other bird he'd spotted earlier. Evidently, he needn't have worried about suddenly being confronted by a bird that had learned how to behave more like a proper nartak, since it didn't have the sense to do more than hiss at him and flap its wings threateningly. Clearly, it was as confused about him as it was fearful and angry, and didn't know what to make of him in the slightest. Snorting, he thrust out one hand, waving it around above the bird's head to catch its attention, before promptly grabbing its neck with his other hand while it wasn't looking. Immediately, it began shrieking and hissing in fear and anger, flapping its wings furiously before Luke managed to work it to the ground, pinning in its wings just like with the last one, and kneeling down over it to keep it in place. Feisty one, aren't you? He asked the ghillie with a chuckle, snorting when the bird continued hissing at him like it wished his hair would spontaneously fall out. Can't say I blame you for disliking me, he admitted with a smile as he gently stroked the bird's neck in a soothing motion as it begrudgingly settled in, accepting its defeat. But when it comes down to it, I'll trade your life for the continued patronage of the storm any day of the week. My charges kind of depend on it. A cold comfort for the bird, evidently, but not one that it was in any position to protest as Bayo came around with the second harness, Repeating the whole song and dance of getting his arms around the bird and then the bird into the harness, he nearly missed it when Bayo simply continued to stare at him as they held open the harness for Luke to dump the ghillie into, nearly. The two large eyes staring at him with something close to awe and definitely confusion were rather hard to ignore entirely. Looking up, he gave Bayo a significant look. What? he asked quietly, zipping up the harness over the squirming bird inside. Bayo blinked for a moment before shaking their head, blushing deep as they handed the bird bag over to Luke. Nothing, sir, they hastily denied, but correcting before Luke could call them out on the lie. It's just that, well, usually when people try to handle the birds, they don't really know what to... Bayo made a vague gesture towards the bird bags, and Luke snorted, rolling his eyes a little. I don't know what they told you, Bayo, he began with a grin quirking at the corner of his mouth, but I grew up on a farm in the wilds and surrounded by little else but farms in the wilds. I know how to handle livestock. 
He walked over and hefted up the other bagged up bird, earning him an indignant squawk. Usually livestock that's a lot meaner than this lot is, too, he admitted as he looked at the grumpy but passive birds sitting calmly in their bags. They were hefty birds, he'd admit that, but they were still birds with hollow bones, and he could hold them in one hand, which was fortunate, because he still had to pick up and cart around the rest of the things he would need in order to make a sacrifice, never mind finding the appropriate place to do it. Frowning down at the gillies, he clicked his tongue as he set them down to the ground, looping the wire through and around the loops of the harnesses. Luke quickly tied the two bird bags together and, with the heft of his right arm, lifted the tether over his shoulder, cushioning the thread of the thick woolen fabric of his cloak while reveling in the fact that one of his hands could no longer get rope burn. It almost made the night spent coping with the traces of phantom pain that coursed through his prosthesis worth it. With the two birds confined to their bags and hanging next to each other as he slung them over his back, Luke could safely say that this item was checked off the list of preparations he needed to make. Right, he said, ignoring the disgruntled chirps and squawks from the birds at his back as he held out a hand for Bayo to shake. That's all of them. Thanks again for the help, Bayo. It was much appreciated. Bayo took his hand, looking and feeling more than a little dazed as they shook it, flushed in the cheeks. Thunder rumbled overhead as the storm once more made its presence known, and Bayo seemed to blink away a haze before they finally answered him. My, my pleasure, sir, they agreed with the dip of their head tripping over their words. Shall we see if your other items have arrived yet? That sounded good right about now, especially since it sounded like the rain was getting heavier as it rattled against the glass roof above them. With a nod and a slight gesture, he let Bayo precede him and lead the way back out of the aviary. The small flocks of round, speckled birds scurried out of their way, nearly getting underfoot as they passed by, and Luke had to admit as he looked around one last time, he hoped he could get back to a place like this without the intent of taking some birds. It seemed like an incredible place to just hang out for a bit. He wished he had the time to ask Bayo if they sometimes came here just to watch the birds go about their business, but he had the feeling they both had tasks to get back to. Readjusting the strung-up gillies on his shoulder, he stepped back into the hallway that led into the aviary, the door sliding shut behind him with a hiss. Another KitchenAid was waiting for him there, holding a small stack of ceramic bowls, a small bottle of some kind of amber liquor, and a net full of firewood scraps. Something sparked fast and bright through the air as she caught sight of them, glancing quickly between the two of them as Luke could feel something brush up against the back of his mind. She wordlessly handed it off to Bayo, glanced between them again, gave Bayo a long look, and then shot them both a two-fingered salute before spinning around on her heels and strutting away. Well then, do you know her? He asked as Bayo stood there, blushing from the roots of their hair all the way down to their neck. Our friend, they squeaked out, and Luke had to look back to where the lady in a servant's uniform was making her way down the hallway with long strides. And there was something going on here that he didn't fully comprehend, but he wasn't inclined to question it. Should you go after her, then? he asked quietly, taking the bowls and other items from Bayo's hands. I've got things handled here. I, right, Bayo squeaked out, nodding hastily and dipping into a deep bow as they fidgeted nervously. Thank you, sir, they squeaked again, before hastily taking off after the mysterious lady. Huffing out a soft sound, Luke shook his head as he glanced back over his shoulder, finding the two gillies staring at him. Any idea what that was about? He asked the birds, receiving only blank stares in return. I didn't think so, 
he muttered as he heaved them up on his shoulder again, readjusting all the new items and going through his mental checklist again. Sacrifices, earthen vessels, fire. All that was left were the ingredients for the Jereshka. Water, earth of some kind, and blood. He never thought he'd say this, but at least he knew that water wouldn't be the issue here. Thunder rolled outside once more, just beyond the door behind him, and he could feel the presence of his patron beckoning him back out in the back of his mind. A heady, enchanting feeling that he knew could sweep him up into a trance that would have him howling alongside the winds and roaring at the thunder if he let it, shivering as his patron beckoned him to go, go, go. He found that his feet were walking down the hallways. Before he gave conscious thought to their movement, images of skies darkened to night, and the suns to a rusty blood red whispering through his mind. Ozone pricked at his nose and salt sat heavy on the back of his tongue as he followed the urgings down the hallways, barely checking where he was going beyond his immediate surroundings. The narrow corridors that seemed to belong to the servants opened back up into the main hallways of the palace, with windows that reached nearly from the ceiling to the floor. Stained glass setting gleaming brass, offset with chips of mother-of-pearl, bismuth, labradorite, and other precious materials that Luke couldn't recognize at a glance but that shimmered in the light of the strange but wondrous mosaic that they were a part of. The windows depicted many scenes from myth and legend native to Quat, no doubt, but Luke barely saw them as he looked at what laid beyond. Swirling, roiling, the clouds overhead seemed to be caught in a maelstrom as they chased endlessly through the skies, taking on shapes and forms in mere moments and discarding them again just as soon. Sunlight wove gilded edges and ever-shifting beams of light throughout the chaos, offsetting the rumbling, raging gray of the clouds, and lightning, lightning, lightning flashed and forked in furious fire through the sky, chased by the thunder and rending open the tapestry of gray and gold. Brilliant blue-white tore through the air, branching down towards the earth, and he swore, knew, felt, that something in there was beckoning him out, out of the palace, out of the warm, dry safety. Outside, where nature was stampeding through the skies, outside, where his patron still displayed its power in all its furious glory, outside, where he could stretch his wings, turn his head into the wind, and feel the lightning reach down into his very bones. A soft, haunting, trilling noise shivered through the air, high and melodic and searching and reaching, and he realized only with the thrumming of his throat and the air leaving his lungs that he was the one making it. The world around him fell silent as he brought his voice back to heal, quieting down as he gazed out the window, feeling the eyes of people on him, but he didn't care, could not care, as the thunder rumbled and roared back at him, beckoning him to come. Following the call to join his patron in a wild display of freedom and flight, Luke let his half-waking, half-entranced mind lead him where it pleased, the thrill of the wild and wondrous hanging thick in the air. 
He barely felt the weight of the things he was carrying, his body and even his worries anymore, the air around him seeming to cushion his steps, as he glided soundlessly along the halls, as if he could take one stride too far and step onto the winds to forever leave the ground behind. Thunder rolled, and his voice ached in his throat to join it, to sing out, to lend a sound to this echoing, archaic bond between him and an entity so ancient he doubted words had even been around at the time to begin to describe it. Seeing no reason to restrain it, no reason to deny it, he closed his eyes and let the trance take hold. A moment, just for a moment, but enough that the first note trilled out of his throat when he opened his eyes again. Shivering and simple, high and heartfelt, it didn't move the air so much as weave through it, reaching up to join the booming song of his patron. It scared his aunt, his uncle, Biggs, and so many other people when he gave in to the urges spurred on by his patron like this. He could taste their fear and caution around the music when he sang like this, only the other runners ever joining him in those rare moments where they could gather in peace, even as their throats never seemed quite right for the music. But what was there to fear in this, in this beautiful moment of song and ceremony, rite and ritual that both he and Kestra, sovereign of the borderless, held so dear? A song of storms, a hymn of a hurricane, thrilling, treasured, terrifying in all the best of ways, wordless and strange, but something that went deeper than any language he knew of that his patron whispered into his ear for him to sing out. The whistling of the winds, the hum of air brushing through the dune-sea sand, the creaking and crashing of ice far north at the poles, and now the roiling, churning maelstrom of something that he simply knew to be the sea, only a little ways away. It was a fresh, new song, dancing and lilting with something that was both foreign and familiar, something that fused the disparate elements of Quat and Tatooine into one. He didn't know all the words to it, but with the storm bellowing them out up above, it was easy to hum out the shivering, spiraling notes that chased through the air like kestrels. The fluttering of a thousand wings of the animals dedicated to his patron rippled out of his throat, a shivering susurration that fled out into the storm outside. Kestrels and crate, so different in dignities and stature, and yet beloved just alike, but the storm, sovereign of the borderless, arbiter of the mad and the brilliant, a deity of whom the favor and wrath were rarely so distinct. He sang with it, never minding the eyes that were fixed on him, not as the thunder grew louder and wilder and the rain rattled the window panes. He didn't sing loud, but then he didn't need to. This wasn't a song that could be drowned out. It echoed through the halls, bouncing off of the shimmering windows and polished floors of the palace, and twisting its way into every nook and cranny of this place, so far removed from the desert as it was. It could do with a little touch of unpredictability, a little touch of the wild. The song would linger here, he knew. His aunt forbade him from singing to his patron inside the house for exactly that reason when he was younger, saying that if he kept at it soon the farm would be more wild than house. 
He didn't exactly understand why that would be a bad thing in the moments where he wanted, needed to sing with his patron. But he vaguely remembered an understanding when there wasn't a need gnawing at him, pulling him closer to the eye of the storm. Something about there being a reason why the runners defined the place where civilization gave way to the wilds, where borders eroded to nothing, where their sovereigns stampeded in a tempest over the lands. Like hoofbeats, the thunder above rumbled, almost rhythmic with how hard it was coming down now as lightning flashed every few seconds. Higher and higher the notes of the song swept, spiraling into the sky with the verve of life and death and the crescendo that bound it all together. Rain hit him in the face in a sheet of freezing cold that rapidly sank down his skin and into his clothes. The shock of the cold snapped his eyes open, but his heart burned with white-hot flashes of fire that leapt out with the lightning that now flashed through the clouds above him, nothing between him and the sky. Rivulets of steam lifted up from his skin in front of his eyes, and he laughed as he tipped his head back into the rain, yelling out into the thunder for the sheer joy of it all. Ozone saturated his every sense, filling his lungs with the burning, crackling smell of lightning filling the air, and salt coated his tongue. Power, heavy and enormous and ancient beyond words, pressed down on him from every side, the storm reminding him of his vows to it in the most visceral way it knew. Gale-force winds tore at his cloak, flaring it as wide open as the wings that had been granted to him, and he could only laugh and laugh and laugh. Some would call the display of sheer force violence, but Luke could see nothing in the thundering golden-gray clouds but beauty and grace and freedom. Sons, he loved this. This was nature at its wildest, and here, between the thunderclaps and howling winds, here was home. Here were the wilds that surrounded the market stalls and craftspeople and elders and the townsfolk that never quite trusted him. Here was that teetering edge of uncertainty that always threatened to just tip him over but somehow never did. Here was the power weird and wonderful and wild that couldn't care less for convention or control. Here was freedom. He yelled the song to the sky as he stepped out into the courtyard, spinning on the balls of his feet as the winds buffeted his every movement. He spun and spun, the world an endless expanse of gold and gray and brilliant light that flashed throughout, singing his heart out into the deafening cry of the storm. Blinding white light filled his vision as a deafening clap in and around and through his chest with the force of it, grinning wide when he saw the patch of scorched earth amidst the drenched grass mere steps away. Ecstatic and free and wild, he laughed as his patron struck down again, in another blinding flash of lightning, mud spatting up where it struck the path in front of him and sending detritus hissing with steam scattering through the rain. Crying out in joy, ecstasy, freedom, fury, belonging, ardor. At the spiraling clouds overhead, he welcomed the third flash of lightning as he danced and spun over the steaming, smoking remains of the last impact that still sparked with power. Lightning forked through the storm like roots, 
drawing down to the ground and bringing sheets of sparkling, glittering rain down that glowed with the golden sunlight overhead, brilliant and beautiful and blinding to behold. He sang his heart out as lightning struck down around him. He spun through the baked earth and smoldering mud left behind after each strike, the wet grass brushing along his boots as he followed the path of each strike in an erratic, meandering dance without a single care in the world. Burning air in his lungs, rain cold and wet against his skin, thunder and song pounding through his head and chest, and slick slide of mud under his feet filled his every sense until... Luke! Snapping out of the trance as he felt the heat of another lightning strike graze along his back, he spun around to face the voice that had called out to him, finding his home standing at the edge of the grass field, flanked on both sides by the Vaudet. Grinning wide as the heat of another lightning strike flashed along his side, he dipped into a shallow bow with a slightly theatrical flare. Ceramic clattering rang through the air, and it was the exact moment that he remembered he was actually holding things and carrying two live birds slung over his back. Blinking in befuddlement as he glanced back to the oddly quiet birds that merely blinked up at him, Luke shook off the swaying tendrils of trance that threatened to drag him back under. Clearly he needed to keep his head a bit further in the game than what had just happened, at least for now. Jogging over the wet grass, shaking out his hair a bit from the rain plastering it down before the wind shook it up again, Luke grinned at the party of troopers and his home gathered under the overhang of the palace entrance. Probably a little too wide and wild if he remembered correctly from past experiences, but he couldn't care, couldn't care. Now that he was out and wild and free again, in a proper storm for the first time in nine months. Greetings to you, my home. He began with a cheeky wink towards Vader, feeling the man through the bond again now that he wasn't suffused with the power of the storm. How went the hunting? Luke, Vader began. Forced calm clear through his every movement. Luke, what was that? Blinking at the near panic in the man's voice, he opened himself up to the frantic tapping against the edges of his mind on near reflex, purring softly as he felt his home's warm darkness frantically search and stroke along his presence. I'm fine, he muttered while stepping close, letting Vader begin his frantic checkup as he patted him down all over. The trance is just a bit stronger after having gone so long without a connection to my patron. Trance? Vader asked, panic soothing down under Luke's purrs to the point that the man finally seems to remember to speak in Kerala. Luke grinned and nudged his cheek into Vader's hand as it came to rest against it. I am a runner, he reminded Vader quietly. I have duties to my patron like any other, and it has been a while since I was able to properly call upon it. He sighed as he readjusted the small stack of items in the crook of his arm, drawing Vader's attention towards them, earning a small sound of confusion from the man. I did ask for a rather significant boon he continued quietly. It's only natural that it requires a price to be paid. That finally seemed to spark recognition inside Vader, as the man's presence skirted along the edges of the future sacrifices and ritual items, standing patiently while Vader seemed to draw his own conclusions as his home glanced between them, the ghillies still slung over his back and the storm above. He smiled when the man's shoulders finally loosened up. 
Naturally, he muttered quietly. Alone? Cody hissed out by their side, visor twitching between the two of them. Alone Banner. Udesi Kote. Utrela, Vader rumbled back immediately, making a gesture for all the Vode to stand down. Cody merely looked up at Vader with such a sharpness that even behind the visor, Luke could tell that the blaring incredulity that surrounded the clone would be plain to see on his face. Alor Seremir, Luke agreed with a quiet laugh, snickering again when Cody turned that incredulous look on him. Utrela, Kote, he reassured the man. Cody looked at him for a moment longer, doubt and bewilderment pulsing like a heartbeat, before he eventually relaxed his stance, the other Vode following his example. Then a flash of deliberation as Cody very pointedly tilted his head. Suhigagaran. Cody eventually greeted him, and oh yes, that was definitely very pointedly. Luke grinned wide and dipped into a bow with a little flare of his hand. Suhigagarkate, he greeted in turn, absolutely unrepentant despite the fact that he should probably feel some measure of embarrassment at the fact that he'd just been caught in a full trance, dancing with the storm with no regard for his surroundings. He'd been through the ringer lately, let him live a little. Sukigarvode, he greeted the rest of the clones hanging around him with a quick nod and a return of mumbled greetings that sounded more than a little stunned. How's the hunting been? he asked quietly, directing his attention back at his home. Successful, Vader rumbled quietly, still running a finger along Luke's brains and seemingly not being able to care less about the fact that the Vode were right there. Well, that was fine. Luke couldn't say he cared much either. The majority were either captured or killed, and those that still managed to slip through the cracks will carry the message that such a fool's errand as they attempted should not be tried lightly in the future. The troopers are sweeping up the last of them as we speak. What will happen to the ones captured? He asked lowly. They need to be dealt with, and he really didn't fancy having to deal with the vengeful remains of the hunters in another decade or so. It may make for a good story or song, but it was a pain logistically speaking to keep track of people who declared you enemy. Whatever happens to them, they would need to be made harmless in one way or another. Indetermined. Vader rumbled as he stroked his hand through Luke's soaked hair. But now that they are registered captives, they will need to be dealt with according to protocol. Which protocol is yet to be determined? And Vader sounded none too pleased about that little tidbit. And Luke could relate to the rumblings of annoyance that traveled across this strange bond he felt between them. The laws of the people always took so much longer to navigate than the laws of the wilds or the gods. Hopefully they'd at least be able to get something out of the process besides a headache and more paperwork and... You may have to appear in a court of law to testify depending on the protocols followed, little one, Vader added, switching over to soft murmurs of Kerala while stroking a hand over his head. And Luke couldn't help but let his head drop against Vader and groan deeply. Fuck, he muttered under his breath because, oh yeah... And there was a reason why he chose to deal with slavers and masters and leave the local law enforcement to the beacons and the elders. Testifying and appearing on court dates was a bitch. He could only imagine how much worse the protocol and rules-obsessed core worlds had managed to make it, and he bet that this time they wouldn't even send a bounty hunter after him to deliver his court summons. 
At least with that arrangement, he'd been able to have a bit of fun with the poor Mandalorian soul who had been conscripted to fumble through a prayer at the local shrine of the storm and hand it over to him. It might not get to that point, Vader tried to soothe him, deep rumbles echoing through his mind like the thunder that still rolled overhead, beckoning him to dance again to complete what he'd started and... He breathed deeply as he refocused on what his home was telling him. They could still enter into any number of arrangements that would mean foregoing a trial. Regardless of what else may occur, I would endeavor to ensure that you are not summoned to the stand if that is your wish, little one, Vader continued, the words soothing even as Luke theoretically knew that he shouldn't be interfering with the proper procedure of the courts. Right now, though, the gathering, Zeb's flight, the custom work that still needed to be done on the lady, the repairs to Wona, Valmora and Lakmir and Zariah, the Quadras, and simply everything else that still needed to be done or planned in and done or discussed, planned in and done. He had a lot on his plate. To add the hunters to that, too. I'll appear in court if strictly necessary, he answered his home with a sigh, the wind ruffling through the hairs on his neck as lightning cracked through the sky. But if at all possible, I would rather not. Even just the thought of having to deal with that on top of everything else was... Not to interrupt the sweet moments, sis. Boomer suddenly cut in, leaning out from behind Vader. But is everything resolved now? Is everything fine now? Boomer. Cody hissed, but Boomer merely held up his hands. I'm just saying, sir, he continued. There was lightning flashing around here like nobody's business, and the Garan was just skipping along between it. Like, we didn't just forget about that. Did we? We didn't forget dragging the allure here in order to deal with that, right? Cody growled lowly, but Boomer merely jerked his head over towards the courtyard again, and glancing out, Luke winced as he finally registered the clusters of troopers still huddled together around the edges of the courtyard, and the three pavilions dotted out throughout the place, all of them staring in their direction. Oof. He really had been more out of it than he'd thought. The dead is just marking for the impacts. Boomer noted with a click of his tongue, and yeah, he was right. Patches of dirt the size of dinner plates were scorched and blackened, with spots of still-glowing embers scattered throughout that the pouring rain hadn't yet doused. Vader's hand clamped down tight on Luke's shoulder, and he grunted softly as he jostled it off of his shoulder. "'You are not going back out there,' Vader told him firmly, uncompromising, but Luke merely snorted as thunder crashed overhead, louder than ever. "'I would say it disagrees,' he said with a grin." echoing Vader's own words back at him with a grin. And I believe it to be unwise to argue with the gods. Vader's eyes shot over towards him and a dangerous, desperate rumble tore itself out of his home's throat as he felt his home's presence wrap around him, lashing out and startling the troopers back as if trying to protect him from imagined threats. Rolling his eyes, he nudged up softly against Vader's side. Calm down, my home, he murmured. I've done this many, many times before. Castro won't harm me. Not as long as I show it the proper respect. Lightning flashed down, striking the earth and spitting up mud and steam with the force of it, smoking remains left behind as thunder roared, sheer power packed into a single moment as ozone burned through the air. But Luke was at peace. It wouldn't harm him. He knew that to be true. He knew that. As strange and unpredictable as his patron could be, he knew that it would not harm him unless he gave it cause to. And he hadn't. He knew that more than anything, too. 
trust and respect in equal measures. That was what was required to treat safely with the storm. And he trusted this. He trusted this. Besides, he had one last ace up his sleeve. I'll need to gather the last ingredients necessary for the sacrifice either way, he told Vader in a gentle murmur, leaning softly into his side even as his anxiety spiked. There's no avoiding that, I'm afraid. Static burst out of the vocoder in a wordless sound of anxiety, an arm finding its way back around him as if to shield him from the onslaught of his patron's power. Luke trilled softly at the man's presence, pushing a sense of calm, trust, care, ease, comfort, peace. Had his home in the hopes of calming down the anxiously twisting and turning presence that tried to wrap itself around him as best it could. Oh, it's this. Apo asked carefully behind them. Is, um, is everything okay? Glancing back over his shoulder, Luke could barely restrain a grin as he saw the Vodae clustered together on top of each other, looking for all the world like a bunch of lost and confused kids who just so happens to be decked out in state-of-the-art power armor. Everything's fine, guys, Luke assured them, losing the battle to keep a grin off of his face. Vader's just upset at the fact that he'll have to go back out there. A cry of dismay went up amongst the troopers, with more than one of them exclaiming, Back out there! And Gran! And at least one, Ganjara! Which, really, that one was uncalled for, but the frantic fervor with which the words were said gave him at least a bit of a pause, and he breathed deeply to calm himself back down. He could do this. They didn't know what he was or what he could do, and despite the fact that Vader did... There was something visceral to his fear and anxiety when confronted with the fact of Luke going back out into the storm. Sir, Cody began, voice sounding just a little strangled as he did so. Sir, what do you mean you're going back out there? You do realize that you almost got hit with lightning no less than twelve times, sir. The strangled voice of Hex added in. Twelve times? Yes, I do, Sergeant, and I mean exactly what I mean when I say I'm going back out there, Commander. He answered in that pleasantly stubborn way that would have Biggs narrow his eyes into a glare, knowing that he wasn't about to be able to stop Luke even with a whole flock of crate to drag him back. Why? Apple implored with genuine bafflement in his voice. For the love of the Force, why, sir? Religious obligations. Luke answered brazily, projecting as much calm and ease as he could while staring back out into the storm again. I haven't been able to properly fulfill any in over nine months, and I cannot wait any longer. I love the lady, he quickly continued before the troopers could get in a word edgewise, but she's not conducive to being able to perform rite and ritual grounded in nature. Sons, if it weren't for the fact that he'd had the foresight to bag up some sand alongside his carved chapor bowl... He would have been very anxious on the lady. As it stood, he unfortunately still couldn't use any of his ritual gear since he'd been fool enough to leave it back on the orbital ring in the astrolabe suite. Ah oh well, he'd work with what he had. His patron had never been particularly demanding when it came to the specificities, as long as the spirit and intent was true. None of the troopers seemed to be particularly convinced, though, with all the flat and incredulous stares he could feel being leveled his way. Religious obligations, Cody asked voice as flat and dry as the salt flats he'd grown up on. I know you didn't mishear me, Commander, Luke answered pleasantly. So if there's no further objections, I'm going to gather the last of what I need and get on with business. 
With that, he promptly dodged out of immediate trooper reach before any of them could think to get any funny ideas. He was reasonably confident he could get out of the grip of one of them, maybe even two, but he'd built the armor well, and the troopers were well trained. Even if it was nothing but play, they were still more than strong enough to keep him from heading out into the storm again, and for that he wouldn't stand. Three light and dancing steps, and he was already back at the edge of the overhang, the spray of the rain ghosting along the back of his neck before the troopers even seemed to fully realize his intent. Once they did, a collective wail of protest rose up as several hands reached out to grab him by whatever means they could and haul him back, presumably to cart him off back indoors, away from the raging tempest outside. He grinned in a manner that was more of a bearing of teeth than a friendly invitation to continue their actions and tilted his head in reproval. Not so fast, Nervaday, he hissed lowly, keeping a watchful eye on their every movement. I don't appreciate being manhandled, so cut that out. You're not going back out there, Cody protested hotly, and Luke was about to respond when the space around them lit up like a spotlight had been flipped on. A brilliant blue-white that burns to look at even in just the glow it cast. The hairs on his neck tingled as heat scorched along his back, barely grazing the side of too hot and burning the air until it smelled like molten metal and seared ozone. A sound like a bomb going off cracked through the air and the light snapped back out of existence, leaving his eyes to readjust. Spots danced in front of his eyes and he grinned as he realized they weren't afterimages, but small, burning embers drifting through the air around him, grazing the edge of his cloak. Smoke curled up in rivulets and smelled like baked earth and boiling mud, thick and heavy. He shifted the offerings along his back and grinned, slow and sure, at the Vaudet frozen in place like jackrabs in the headlights. I disagree, he informed them lightly. Gren, Appa whispered lowly presence nearly frozen stiff with fear and desperation and dread. Gran! A shiver ran through the group of people present, and Apo carefully took a step towards him, movements speaking of someone trying not to spook something at risk of fleeing. You do... you do realize that... The commander continued carefully. That was... did you not feel... was that... I'm fine, commander. Luke insisted with a bit more force behind it, and I am going back out. Don't even try and stop me. I won't look kindly on it. And this storm won't harm me. I know that it won't harm me. But, sir... Cody tried one last time, and Luke was just about to retort when... Stand down, Vaudet. A deep voice rumbled, Vader adding himself back into the conversation at a moment when Luke had nearly forgotten his presence in favor of keeping out of the Vodes well-meaning, but entirely unwanted attempts at keeping him safe from his own patron. Reaching back out towards his home over the bond, even as he kept his eyes on the clones, Luke was struck by how scared Vader really was of the storm. No, not of the storm. They'd flown through wind and weather just yesterday, and he had not forgotten how Vader had joined him in song, a hymn sung in a voice as deep and powerful as the thunder itself, basking in the storm's presence as much as Luke was. No, Vader wasn't scared of the storm, but apparently he was scared of lightning. Or perhaps it was more accurate to say that he was terrified of it. A terror that ran deep and jagged through the darkness that was Vader, a crack filled with something molten and spitting. 
Luke frowned and carefully brushed up against the crack, trying to soothe it as best as he could and stop more of that terror from leaking through. Vader turned just far enough to catch Luke's gaze from the corner of his and rumbled out a low, soothing sound towards Luke, gratefulness brushing back up against him in turn as the crack slowly sealed itself over again. Luke smiled back and ambled over to carefully nudge himself into Vader's side, taking care not to bump the ghillies into him as well or to lose track of the troopers from the corner of his eye. With Vader having given them their marching orders, he didn't exactly expect them to just lunge for him and drag him back inside, but it was best not to chance it either. Castro was not someone to keep waiting for too long. Sir? Cody asked carefully, taking careful steps closer as confusion shot through with a hint of wariness circled around him like Shashbanwa. What is I mean exactly what I said, Commander, Vader replied softly turning to stare back out into the rain and wind interspersed with more flashes of lightning, though none that struck the courtyard again. You will stand down and allow Luke to go about his business, even if... even if it means he heads back out there. Fear burned through Vader's darkness for a moment, before it was quickly stifled down again with a staticky sigh. Slowly, like it was taking him great effort to do so, Vader turned towards Luke opaque red lenses staring directly into him, and with a flash of lightning, Luke swore that for a moment, just for a moment, he could see eyes. Then the sky was back to its golden-gray hues that reflected off of the lenses and mask, and Vader inclined his head deeply towards Luke, acceptance curling through the bond and up along the hem of his cloak, stroking softly along his occupied hands and cheek. Luke smiled, leaning softly into the ethereal touch and inclined his head back. Thank you, my home, Luke whispered quietly, sending back pulses of gratitude, warmth, ease, comfort, care along the bond. Vader shifting slightly as the darkness tentatively brushed back against him, the dark man shifting his gaze back over out into the storm. The cloud shifted, and a new beam of golden light joined the others casting its glow directly onto warmth suffused his body, shining and bright as the light hit the courtyard and spilled out just under the overhang, casting both him and Vader in golden warmth. Tilting his head back into the light, Luke grinned softly, the tinkling of wind chimes and humming sands drifting through his mind in the impression of a laugh, and, well, what could he do but laugh along? Incredulity flared alive all around and beside him, stoking his laughter even higher as he glanced over towards Vader. It seems that it proves, he told Vader with a wink, earning him a sigh in turn that had him biting back another laugh. An explosive groan could be heard from behind him, and he heard the distinct grumble coming from Cody that sounded a lot like damned force magic bullshit nonsense. But he paid the grumblings of the commander no mind, instead shaking out his shoulders and damp hair to prepare for another bout of gallivanting off in the rain. His patron was already pulling back on his mind, and he could feel the distant urge to dance and sing thrumming at the edges of his mind. But there was something he needed to do first, something that was pulling softly on the bond that stretched between him and his home, and yet slipped out of sight every time he tried to turn towards it as if it was trying to remain as unobstructive as possible. Vader, 
he asked quietly, looking out into the golden glow shining down upon them. Would you like to join me? Thunder rumbled overhead, but he was certain on this. Where he went, his home would follow, and he would make sure that he could. His patron might not have a home, but he sure did, and he knew, he knew, that it wouldn't fault him for this. Vader shifted at his side and glanced over, Luke meeting his gaze from the corner of his eye. Little one, he murmured softly, are you certain about this? More then, he answered, allowing Vader to probe at his answer for all the honesty he needed and gaining a surge of thrill and excitement in turn that answered his question as well as he could expect it to. Come, he bade, inclining his head into the courtyard. I still have one last thing I need to gather. Vader huffed out a soft sound and inclined his head, joining Luke's side in one large stride. Let us depart then, and let me carry some of your burdens. And with that he reached out towards the tethered ghillies still slung over Luke's back, who protested being moved from their current position with barely a squawk before falling oddly silent again the strange trance the birds had found themselves in still holding strong. Then, once the birds were slung over Vader's broad shoulder and looking that much smaller compared to the stature of the man than they ever had while Luke had been carrying them, he held his hand out for the rest. Handing off the rest of his burdens into the hands of Vader, Luke soon found himself holding only the large bowl he'd requested and staring back out into the thundering storm. Casting one last look back over his shoulder at the gaggle of horrified Vode, he gave them a wink and a grin. Hold down the fort. We'll be right back. A cloud of confusing emotions welled up from the troopers behind him, but he paid it no mind as he gave Vader one last glance, squared his shoulders, and took a deep, fortifying breath. Brushing up against his home for one last time to give the signal, he stepped out from underneath the overhang. Freezing, wet, breathtaking. Luke grinned wide as the rain hit his skin once more, cooling and warming all at once, the storm slamming back into him at full force as the wind ripped at his cloak and flared it wide, blowing underneath to curl around his arms, his torso, his legs, cushioning every step he took. It was wild, it was wonderful, and it was exactly where he belonged. Darkness curled along the hem of his flaring cloak, and he knew that Vader was by his side watching his every movement, fretting Mother Hen. The sound of wind chimes clinking drifted along the winds, and ozone filled his lungs once more. Laughing brightly as the storm danced along the edges of his mind, he reached out for it and opened his wings wide. In his mind's eye he could see them, feel them the gifts of the storm that had materialized seemingly out of thin air that very first day. Beside him he could feel the darkness that was Vader still all at once, and he knew that what his home was seeing he was as well. Awe and a deep abiding warmth skirted around the edges of him, and Luke laughed even brighter. The storm roared up above him, and with a final laugh he opened his mouth and sang back with his entire being. Wings wide and face turned into the onslaught of rain, he sang and sang and sang as he strode into the courtyard, 
the air crackling with the charges of lightning bolts yet unleashed. It leached into his skin, his flesh, his very bones, reaching down like the cold of the rain had failed to accomplish. It was power and strength and life. He felt warm, radiant, alive, as the storm leached into his very being, and he laughed as he saw rivulets of steam rising up off of his skin once more. This, this is what he had missed while aboard the Lady, this nebulous edge where civilization met the wild and wonderful, and he could feel what lay beyond the neat and tidy borders of the city beckon him in. The wild, the wilderness, the endless wastes beyond that had no name, but were always just out of reach, just out of sight. Nine months was too long to go without this. Lightning cracked the sky and struck down next to them, the area momentarily awash in blue and white as steaming mud spat up a few paces to his left. Distantly he felt the darkness to his right flinch back, but he merely flared his wings wider and laughed, bright and joyous with the sheer comfort that came with the gesture. His home would see that there was nothing to fear here. Wild Castra may be, but wicked it was not. No matter the fury of a storm, it was never malicious, it simply was. And right now it sang so beautifully. Thunder and lightning crashing through the air, rain and wind that rattled the windows and grass, clouds and mist that hummed as they danced and twirled. It was a song with no words, no chorus, and yet he knew every word that did not exist. The lows and highs, the soaring notes and swift ladders, the rapid-fire melodies of the rain and the stately, willful harmonies of the winds. He sang, serenaded, shouted with it all, his throat forming the sounds with barely any thought at all as he glided over the garden path, the winds carrying his every step and stride as they flared his cloak as wide as his wings. He felt like he was floating on the winds, stepping just above the ground. And then he heard it, deep and dark, rumbling like a rock slide, uncertain, a bit afraid, but so, so willing to try. He couldn't help the laugh that broke through his song this time. He would know that voice anywhere, even in whispers, even in wind, even here in the untamed wilds. Singing higher, he lifted his voice off of the lower octaves and made room for his home to join this dreaming dance of notes and tones. Hesitant at first, but growing in surety with every second, Vader joined the hymn that rose up out of his throat and fell from his lips with nary any effort. He stumbled over the notes sometimes, but kept trying and correcting every time and Luke loved him for trying. They sang together, high and low, loud and fierce and free under the watchful eye of the storm. And together they strode through the courtyard, gliding along the storm as the winds gently nudged his steps along the garden paths, guiding him on, and leading him to the edge of the large Orioko Pond. There were troopers sheltering nearby in the pavilion overlooking the pond, but he paid them no mind as he carefully knelt at the water's edge, not minding the choppiness of the surface both due to the endless winds that blew over it and the school of Orioko that immediately gathered at the edge 
to make little plopping sounds at him with the opening and closing of their mouths. Chuckling as he ran a hand through the water, letting the fish swim and stroke up alongside it, Luke set down the bowl in the muddy sand underneath his feet. Here then, are you certain this will do, my sovereign? He whispered into the winds, lifting his hand out of the smooth, scaly touches of the fish to run it through the muddy sand and earth. It was a fine grain, certainly. Fine enough to make a paste instead of merely some wet sand that would flake off at the first opportunity, especially once a little blood was added in. Wind chimes and salt on his tongue. Castra had spoken then. As you command, he muttered while scooping handfuls of the sand into the bowl, taking care not to bring along any detritus or the like. Thankfully, it seemed that he wouldn't have to add too much water in order to make this into true Jareshka. Filling up his bowl with the muddy mixture, he recited the proper prayers in whispers as he washed his hands clean in the water of the pond, smiling as the Orioko brushed up against them and helped dislodge the dirt and grit. Thank you, he whispered towards them, taking the bowl back in hands and standing up out of his kneeling position. Is that all? Vader asked quietly behind him, and Luke startled when he felt the rain abate, looking up to find that Vader had shifted over the items he was carrying to one hand and was holding his mantle up with the other to shield Luke from the torrential rains. The fabric flared out a little in the wind, but oddly enough seemed to be mostly unbothered by the winds tearing at it, though that might also be due to the darkness he could feel lining the mantle, Luke thought with some amusement. That's all, he agreed with a smile, stepping a little further into the man's protective hold, the rain lapping against the armor weave being held over his head. Now to find a suitable place to conduct the ritual, somewhere under the open sky. He glanced around the courtyard as the staring eyes on them from all around, curious, wary, fearful, and awed in equal measures. He huffed out a quiet laugh, preferably without any prying eyes. He glanced around, scanning the place for anywhere he could see before a lightning flash reflecting off of the roof drew his eyes upwards. Squinting at it for a moment, he tilted his head. It could work. Do you think we can get rooftop access? He asked Vader quietly, feeling the man's eyes slide off of him and towards the same spot he was looking, gazing at it in silent contemplation as his presence and mantle softly curled around Luke. Vader was silent for a moment before nodding firmly. I am certain of it. Well then, that's all he needed. Time to go then, he announced quietly. And thunder rolled overhead. With a grin, he rested a hand against Vader's side and let the winds guide them back through the garden paths, lifting up his hand and welcoming the storm back in, even as he stood within his home's protection. The winds howled around them, fierce and proud, and howled along with them, the notes cutting high and clear through the din. Thunder rolled and cracked like an avalanche overhead, bellowing out its fury and power and Luke grinned wide as lightning struck the earth a few paces in front of him, bright, blazing, and brilliant. The storm beckoned him onwards, and he went, laughing as the burnt and blackened earth cracked and crunched underneath their feet as they walked over it, feeling light as air and brilliant as light. Without any thought, he headed for the entrance the winds were pushing them towards, 
the previously closed doors blowing open under the onslaught of the winds as they approached. They swept into the palace with a gust of wind that flared out the curtains like the unfurling wings of a crate, lightning flashing as they stepped over the threshold, and quickly wove their way through the hastily gathering servants attempting to close the doors again. Eyes landed on them and stuck there, and Luke made no attempt at shaking them off. He knew they made quite the sight at the moment, him and Vader side by side, dripping with rain while the dark man still held out his mantle to shield Luke from it, and carrying a myriad of items he was pretty sure most here would consider an odd sight indeed. A bowl of mud, a bottle of liquor, a small net of firewoods and other bowls, and two trussed-up birds. Yeah, he could think of a few reasons why the people here would be staring in bafflement. Wind slammed into the windows besides them, rattling them something fierce. Luke grinned and shook out his hair a little, feeling Vader's presence creep up along the lining of his cloak to tuck a few loose strands back behind his ear and straighten out the lines of his cloak a little. Let them stare. With his home by his side, he could face them all and never flinch. The dark presence beside them stilled abruptly, the mantle dropping down from where it had been kept overhead, and Luke bit back a snicker as he realized the man had caught that sentiment across the bond between them. Hmm. And that was another thing, he supposed. He felt carefully along the nebulous strings that sat between them. He wasn't quite sure when they had started forming, but he did remember when he first saw them, fine as gossamer and glinting with their intertwined presences. It had never been much, but since yesterday it had grown stronger, much stronger. Where before only hung filaments, now hung thick, heavy-spun cords that shimmered and shone with equal parts of him and Vader, bleeding over into each other until it was just them, two halves of a set. That was what it meant to be someone's home. Was this what that looked like? He stroked a wing along one of the cords of the bowl binding them together, gently testing how strong it was and finding that it hid deceptive strength for how feeble it appeared, the darkness within the bond carefully rising up to meet his touch while his own stayed put. Yes, there was strength there, that much he could tell. That, and that it was still growing. Humming out in tune with the storm outside, he carefully soothed the tip of his wings over them, encouraging the growth. Sons, it was a risky play. His home was still so far in chains, even if the cracks seemed to start showing themselves in small flashes of moments. But then... He sighed internally and soothed the bond again with his wings. But then he wanted this bond. Had reached out as eagerly for Vader as Vader had reached out for him yesterday, in the streaming rain and roaring thunder as they stood in that square. Yes, it was risky, but he wanted this. And hadn't his aunt said to take what he wanted and not let go? He figured that after yesterday, he was due a little boldness and a little risk for his own benefit's son's sake. Lightning cracked outside the windows, and Luke nearly rolled his eyes, pulling his wings back from the bond. Right, and he was due a sacrifice to his patron. I haven't forgotten, he muttered quietly as they turned into the corner in the endless hallways, more staring eyes trailing after them as they went. They were getting closer and closer to the roof, though and he felt the storm urging him onwards as they approached a maintenance door. And yeah, yeah, this was beginning to feel more familiar to him than these stately halls. Resting his hand on the metal, he felt a thrum sing through every sensor and neural pathway the moment he touched it, 
the signals rushing straight through him in his very bones. Through here, he indicated Vader, beckoning the man over with a tilt of his head towards the door. Vader's gaze twitched between him and the door for a moment before inclining his head, and the click of a lock ticked underneath his fingers through the metal. Thank you, he whispered toward his home with a soft grin, pressing the door open. Behind the door, a simple metal staircase presented itself. Or, well, simple from what he had seen at this palace so far. It was still decorated with steel twisted into some interesting swirls and curls. But overall, it appeared to be a maintenance staircase, much like he was used to. Seems we're almost there, he said as he approached the stairs, Vader close behind him. Agreed, Vader said as they began to climb up, the emergency lights flickering on with their proximity. A moment of silence passed, simply climbing the narrow stairs up to the rooftop before another word was spoken again. I, little one, Vader began carefully, uncharacteristic nervousness thrumming through the bond, and Luke hummed an acknowledgement, prompting the man to continue. Are you certain it is wise for me to partake in the sacrifice? Will I not be intruding, or worse? Vader glanced back over his shoulder from where he was climbing the stairs, confronted with the wholly unusual perspective of actually having to look down at Vader as the man averted his gaze. Something, something softened in his chest, his heart bleeding out the warmth within it freely into the bond. You are my home, he reminded Vader gently. Where you are welcome, I am too. Where I am welcome, so are you. It was more than simply reciting the letter of the law. It was what felt true to him, as much as it felt true to say the storm was his patron and his charges were his to protect. But evidently it wasn't a feeling shared equally by Vader as the man shifted in place. I am not a runner, little star, Vader pointed out. Needlessly so. Luke would have been able to sense the storm's traces on him if that were the case. Nor am I a child. Not anymore. And that... That didn't sound as vehement as before. Luke blinked and tilted his head as he measured the words Vader had spoken, finding them almost regretful, wistful. There was definitely something melancholic in that statement, and that was... Well, he could work with that. You do not need to be, he reminded Vader gently. I am yours, and you are mine. That is enough. The gods are not so fickle as to strike you down for not praying to them. A temperament my patron may possess, and wild it may be. But it is not malicious. It is not cruel. Not unless you provoke its wrath. Lukesh, I cannot even be given the proper markings on my skin, Vader retorted, flat and exasperated as he indicated his mask. It cannot be negotiated or subverted. It needs to remain in place. The bond blackened into slime-slick rot as it drowned in self-loathing and hatred so thick that Luke choked for a moment. Sons of strife and struggle. My home, he muttered softly as he took a step down the stairs, reaching out for the downturned mask and carefully tracing out the angles and lines upon it, feeling the warm puffs of wind from the respirator on his skin. 
Do you really think the gods will judge you for what you need to live? Vader looked up, lenses meeting Luke's eyes and a spark of confusion and hope slipping through the rot of self-hatred as Luke quietly smiled down. You are enough, he promised softly, tracing out the two lenses and the grating of the respirator from tusk to tusk. Exactly as you are, you are enough. Nothing can change that, and no one can take that away. He let his hand fall down, resting right above Vader's heart, and offering a warm, sincere smile. It's what's in here that matters, my home. And I have seen the shape of you, even if I do not know all of who you are. You are enough. And he was. Luke knew he was. Not every slave freed was a child or ever became one, but they were accepted by the gods all the same. Vader was enough for them and more than enough for Luke. Do you understand? He asked quietly. There was silence for a moment. Silence except for the tapping of the rain and the thunder rumbling that could be heard up ahead, beyond the maintenance door. Then slowly, gingerly, Vader lifted up his own hand and placed it over Luke's, nodding almost imperceptibly. I understand. I think. Good, Luke returned, letting Vader hold his hand for a moment longer. Then let us continue. There's work to be done. And with a nod from his home and a few more steps up the stairs, they were there. A simple steel door and a lock was all that separated them from the outside. Laying his hand on the door, he felt a thrill rush through the back of his mind, whispering, Are you ready? He muttered softly, glancing back over his shoulder towards his home. Staring at the door with clear nerves, Vader was far from the confident and in-control commander of the military that he normally presented himself as. There was something almost young about his demeanor, and perhaps with what Luke knew of his past, he wasn't entirely wrong. But whatever Vader had gone through since the last moment he had considered himself a child, he'd matured greatly and suffered much, and his demeanor quickly regained a small measure of composure as he gave a firm nod. I am. Then follow close behind, do as I say, and you will be fine, Darth Vader, son of mother, Luke muttered, before pushing open the door. Gale winds tore into the hallway they were standing in, and flared his cloak wide, ripping at the edges of everything he was and pulling him closer, beckoning him to come, come now, come to us, come. With a deep breath, he flared his wings wide and stepped out onto the roof, answering the call. Rain pelted his face, freezing cold and burning hot all at once, as lightning struck the path in front of him in a brilliant flash that cracked the sky. Kestra was here, in all its glory, and it demanded a sacrifice, a sacrifice he had brought. Halo, Kestra! He called out forcefully into the sky as he walked further onto the roof, the thunder answering him in turn. Hail Sovereign of the Borderless! Hail Arbiter of the Mad and the Brilliant! Hail, O Sacred Storm of Sand! Lightning struck down in front, beside, 
behind him. Bright, blazing bright. Now with a power that nearly blinded, winds tore at him, and thunder roared above, around, within, shaking his bones and mind alike with the force behind it. He'd been noticed. He'd been acknowledged. For eight souls did I run a flight, he continued, reciting the words he knew by heart and bellowing them out into the storm. Eight souls have been seen to safety, whole and hale. A debt was incurred with their safety, a debt I now pay. I ask that you bless this sacrifice, my sovereign, and allow us to make it as one. The taint of salt laid thick and heavy on his tongue, and with the sound of thunder and wind drifted the sensation of laughter as they beckoned him further and further onto the roof. And then it happened. Brilliant. Bright. Blazing. It crashed into him and nearly sent his knees buckling with the sheer ferocious power of it all. He felt that in every drop of blood, every fiber of muscle, every chip of processors, every splinter of bone as it coursed through him, all-consuming, fierce, and wild. He gasped around the overwhelming sensation as Kestra thundered through his mind, trailing gales of force and strikes of sheer presence in his wake, his mind stretching, bending, nearly buckling under the onslaught as this petition was accepted. Then it was over, gasping as the overwhelming sensation left him. He laughed breathlessly when he noticed the sparks of blue-white still dancing along his fingertips, coursing through flesh and metal alike as it danced along sense and censer. I give my thanks, my sovereign, he gasped out, grinning wide as he turned to face Vader. Vader, who was standing behind him in sheer shock, like he couldn't believe what he had just seen, clutching the offerings and ritual items close to his chest like a lifeline. He laughed, as bright and brilliant as the blessing that still lingered in his veins and wires. Come, he beckoned his home. This is the moment. If he'd expected fear or wariness when bidding Vader to come closer and begin the ritual, Luke was pleasantly surprised when he only found sheer awe and determination coursing through the bond. As Vader stepped forward with shoulders squared and held out the items for Luke to begin, the bowls and firewood he took, the offerings he left to the side. With a flick of his wrist, his knife was unsheathed and cut swiftly through the netting the firewood was bound in. With the force of the torrential rain, it was already soaked and damp, but Luke knew that would be no obstacle to what was about to happen as he carefully knelt down on the bronze roofing of the palace. With a glance and a tilt of his head, he bade Vader to do the same, busying himself with the firewood as his home gingerly knelt down next to him, a soft groan of pain rising up that had Luke wince in sympathy, but had no real means of alleviating. Praying was done on one's knees. Taking one of the other bowls that had been given to him, Luke quickly began stacking up firewood inside before the rain could fill up the bowl, creating an intricate pattern of wood with the practiced ease of experience. He could feel his home's curiosity by his side, but paid it no mind as he focused down on what had to be done. Laying his hands on the side of the bowl, he closed his eyes, 
reached out to the blessing still within him, and prayed. In the name of Kestra, lend me your blessing, blazing and bright, he whispered, fervent and full of faith, feeling the blessing itching to leave where it had been placed within him and do what it was meant to. Bring forth the fire and let it ignite. As the last word fell off his lips, something sparked behind his eyelids, and he could feel the surge of scorching warmth course through him. Smiling quietly, he continued to whisper the prayer, building it up to a chant. In the name of Kestra, lend me your blessing, blazing and bright. Bring forth the fire and let it ignite. More things sparked behind his eyelids, and distantly he felt the bond alive and pulsing with awe and wonder, as his home witnessed for the first time what it truly meant to be a disciple of the storm. In the name of Kestra, lend me your blessing, blazing and bright. Bring forth the fire and let it ignite. He knew the rumors that circulated, rumors that asked how runners could possibly make their sacrifices in the presence of their patron when one couldn't even create a ritual fire, and filling in the terrifying blanks with legends and lies themselves, never once bothering to question if their patron wouldn't provide them with the means to practice rite and ritual in its presence. In the name of Castro, lend me your blessing, blazing and bright, bring forth the fire and let it ignite. They were all wrong. In the name of Kestra, lend me your blessing, blazing and bright. Bring forth the fire and let it ignite. And to his home. To his home he would show how wrong the people could be. In the name of Kestra, lend me your blessing, blazing and bright. Bring forth the fire and let it ignite. And the beauty that could lie in the truth as reality proved stranger than fiction. In the name of Kestra, lend me your blessing, blazing and bright. Bring forth the fire and let it ignite. As the last word fell from his lips, he saw a bright light flare into existence, warmth spilling over his hands and cheeks, fire filling his view as he opened his eyes, the firewood in the bowl merrily crackling away, even as the rain poured down around it, lightning flashing and thunder roaring. A small miracle, and one that he would never grow tired of seeing, no matter that he'd seen it hundreds of times before. Blessed fire born of the storm, he whispered softly, pulling his hands back and taking up his knife once more. I ask that you cleanse this blade. He held the knife's blade in the fire, turning it carefully to let the flames lick at the metal, burning away any impurities that might still remain even after Luke had cleaned it with pure alcohol and sterile cloth in preparation for this moment. Taking the blade out of the flame and allowing it a moment to cool off as the metal hissed with each raindrop that landed on it, he grabbed the bowl of sand and water, mixed together into an increasingly thinner paste. Running his hand through it, he grinned wryly as he found it the right consistency of paste, for once not having to add any water of his own. Then in one swift motion, he brought up his forearm and made a quick cut along the back. Vader made a strangled noise beside him, but Luke paid him no mind, 
couldn't afford to. Not in a process as delicate as this. The blade was sharp, incredibly so. And Luke didn't even wince at the minimal sting of the short, thin cut along the back. Blood welled up immediately, small droplets purling up and mixing in with the rain clinging to his skin into a watery red. Setting aside the blade, Luke picked up the bowl and watched the blood drip into the paste. Three, eight, twelve drops fell into the mixture before the bleeding stopped, and the cut would yield no more. But it was more than enough. Running his free hand through the mixture now that the cut had sealed itself, he mixed the blood in with the sand and water, whispering blessings over it as he went. A few moments later, the bowl of mud and blood completed its transition into Jareshka. The rain lightened even as thunder roared, and Luke smiled as he shook out his hair, wiping his forehead and face dry on his cloak, and bidding Vader to do the same with his mask. While the man busied himself, Luke carefully placed the bowl in front of him and dipped a finger inside. I, Lukesh, name myself a runner, he began, the words of affirmation as much a part of him as his own heart, as he marked out seven dots of Jareska along the arch of his left brow, starting on his forehead and ending eye height. A disciple of Kestra, he dipped his finger again and marked out seven dots along his right brow. A runner of the flight paths. He marked out two tear lines, curving underneath his eyes and running along the side of his nose to the corners of his mouth. With every word said, it felt as if a charge was building in the air, a pressure that was aching to be released. It poured into Luke's lungs and throat and urged him to continue, nearly pulling the words up and out of his throat and mouth before he was fully aware of it. I name myself a child of the desert, he continued, dipping three fingers into the Jereshka and running them in parallel lines from under his bottom lip over his chin and down his throat, the touch heavy with something more than just him. And then, finally, I name myself Free. He marked out three dots along the bridge of his nose and shivered as the right reached its zenith. This I vow to be, he finished, the weight of the words pressing down on him, and marked out a final dot in the center of his forehead. As suddenly as the pressure had gathered, settling down heavy upon him it released, flowing off of Luke and joining his patron's furious dance in the air. Breathing heavily for a moment, Luke let the tacky paste settle on his skin before turning to Vader with a breathless smile. Your turn, he said quietly, while holding up the bowl. Vader glanced at the bowl, engaging in a brief staring contest with it before he spoke. I... I do not know the words, he admitted softly. Ah, well then. Will you let me, my home? He asked quietly, waiting patiently for his answer as the fire crackled and wind blew. Yes. With permission given, Luke shifted around on his knees to face Vader, the man slowly moving as best he could to copy him. Luke dipped another finger into the Jereshka, 
holding it up to Vader's face with one last questioning look and receiving a nod in return. Repeat after me, he whispered. I, Darth Vader. I, Darth Vader. Name myself the son of my mother, his home dutifully repeated after him as he fed him the words in whispers, marking out two long arches that curved over the top of the lenses. I name myself a child of the stars. A single long line leading from the grating of the respirator down to his throat. I name myself... I name myself free. Luke bit back a grimace as he heard the hesitation in Vader's voice and the swell of confused, tangled emotions that came along with it. But dutifully marked out the three dots along the nose bridge of the mask, even as he wasn't quite sure whether they represented the truth. This I vow to be. And he marked out the last dot right in the middle of the mask's brow. A shudder ran through the man's form, and Luke knew that he was experiencing exactly what he had only moments ago. There, he muttered softly. We're ready. With that, he set down the bowl and picked up the knife again, inspecting its edge one last time to ensure that the two gillies would receive a swift end and not suffer too much. Finding it as sharp as anything and the metal still faintly bloody from his own cut, Luke deemed it ready. Come, he muttered to his home. Help me hold down the birds so they don't suffer more than they have to. Tilting his head, Vader merely lifted a hand and gestured for the two trussed-up birds to come to them, the sacrifices promptly obeying by levitating up into the air with a few alarmed clucks and floating over. Luke shot his home an exasperated look but let it happen, earning himself a rumble of amusement through the bond. Hold them still as I unzip the bags, he told the amused man, the situation quickly shifting back to seriousness. They cannot die bound. His patron was that of the wild. To sacrifice something chained or bound was not done. Thankfully, Vader's strange magic did the trick in keeping the bird immobilized, even as the strange trance they had been under up until that point was visibly starting to wear off. Squawking and crying out in the beginnings of alarm, Luke could visibly see the bird attempt to struggle against whatever hold Vader had it in, distress quickly mounting in the poor animal. He would have to be quick. Grabbing the bird by the neck and holding it still, Luke rested the blade against the struggling bird as he recited the prayer. Kestra, sovereign of the borderless, patron of runners, may this sacrifice of blood and bone fulfill the debt I incurred. And I pray that you look favorably upon flights yet to come. With the prayer said, he shot off a last small one for the soul of the squawking bird and slit the gillie's neck. The squawking died with a gurgle as blood poured out onto the roof around the offering fire, occasionally spatting into it and fanning the flames high with sparks. Within seconds the bird had stopped struggling, and seconds after that its life bled out along with its blood, swept away into the storm. Luke breathed heavily and quickly set the bird down on the sodding ground. We'll need to get the feathers off, he breathed out towards Vader, 
already dreading the time-consuming task of plucking the bird, when Vader merely flipped the bird over in midair and, with a flick of his wrist and a terrible ripping noise, Luke suddenly found himself looking at a cloud of feathers that neatly ordered themselves into a bundle and stuffed themselves back into the bag the gilly had been in. Blinking as the last feather disappeared from view, Luke merely shook his head and set to work butchering the bird. Flipping his knife over in his hand, he made quick work of it, skinning it in its entirety and cutting out the flesh and organs with quick, precise cuts of his blade. Barely a minute later, they had a neat pile of meat and organs in the bag and a mangled carcass of bones and ligaments ready for the fire. Muttering one last blessing over the bones, he placed them into the crackling offering fire and set about watching them burn. But not too long. They still had one more sacrifice to make. Zipping up the bag with the butchered remains of the first gilly inside, the other bird was now truly starting to panic, and he indicated for Vader to make quick work of getting this one restrained as he wiped the sweat intermingled with rain from his brow. Kaddish, mother of all, patron of community, he muttered as he held the bird by the neck. May this sacrifice of blood and bone fulfill any debt incurred, and may you look favorably upon endeavors yet to come. With that and another cut of the blade, more blood spattered onto the roof, and a life was swept away for the desert. With the help of Vader, butchering the bird was the work of minutes, and soon the bones were blackening in the warm embrace of the fire, the sacrifice completed. Sighing as he cleaned off his knife, he sat back heavily on his knees, watching the blood spilled mingle with the rain as the fire crackled. Thunder rolled above, but it sounded softer, quieter, as if the fury had leached out, and now all that was left was simply to be. Lightning still flashed overhead, illuminating the clouds, but no longer reached down to scorch the ground around them. Rain still fell, but it fell gently, no longer pounding down on the ground below and rattling the roof and windows. The winds calmed their howling rage. The storm had been quelled, a sacrifice soothing the endless power that stampeded through the sky in the form of a tempest. Wind chimes could be heard in the breeze between the rain, and Luke smiled as a soft warmth trickled in with a gentleness that he knew was rare for his patron. But like a mother crate grooming her newly born hatchlings, and like a field of flowers blooming after a rare rainstorm, and there was quiet comfort to be found in the wild, too. With a contented sigh, he grabbed the bottle of alcohol and cracked the seal. Taking one of the small bowls provided to him and emptying it of gathered rainwater, he poured in a small measure of the amber liquid. May all who died find peace where they go. And may their journeys have them at ease and be gentle on their souls. He muttered over the small bowl and took a sip, the liquor burning as it went down his throat, but not doing much else. Then he handed the bull over to Vader, who stared at the amber liquid dubiously, and made a curt gesture towards his mask. Laughing softly, he shook his head, 
and pressed the bowl into the man's grip. You can just say the prayer and pour it out in a libation, he whispered, butting back a laugh when a soft noise of understanding escaped the vocoder. Then the man tilted his head slightly. Must I? He grumbled. A mixture of resentment and anger bordering on hatred rearing its head as he eyed the rippling surface of the liquor. Ah. He suddenly had a very good idea of exactly which spirits Vader was reluctant to pour out a libation for. And it wasn't the innocent attendance of the talent exhibition. I don't see why not, Luke answered with a calm shrug. The dead can no longer harm us, and regardless of anything else, an eternity is too long a time to suffer for anyone as a lost spirit. He gently pressed the bull further into Vader's reach. They are dead, we are alive. Whatever they may have done in life, death renders them as powerless as any inanimate object. And we gain nothing from their lost or restless spirits remaining here. So for all the suffering they brought and all they did, in death we must now forgive them, Vader asked with disgust. Who said anything about forgiveness? Luke prompted gently. Neither they nor we need to forgive in order to move on. Our lives are not contingent on the judgment of others. Vader hesitated, and Luke carefully scooted closer to him until their thighs were touching. Leaning carefully into his home side, he could feel the turmoil within Vader, and the idea that all this had roots that went far deeper than he had any knowledge of was not one that took a genius to put together. You need neither forgive nor be forgiven to move on, my home, he whispered softly, sending ripples of quiet calm over the bond that was filled with a mess of anger, confusion, loathing, and pain. Don't burden your own spirit like that, it's not worth it. He hoped that he'd said the right thing. He really did, but he couldn't make heads or tails of the impressions that were flashing through the bond beyond blood, confusion, pain, fire, betrayal, pain, loss, desperation, pain. That seared, like holding a hot iron to the edges of his mind, and had him struggling not to flinch back. He breathed through it with Vader matching his own breathing to the cycles of the respirator and trying to focus on the soft tapping of the rain around them. It's not worth it to hold on, my home, he muttered quietly, breathing with the man through the pain this demon from his past had brought now that it had been stirred. It's gone. It's done. It's over. We're still here and the pain is only a memory. Let it rest, he pleaded quietly. Let it rest. A strange, shuddering sound made its way out of the vocoder as large shoulders slumped down, the liquor sloshing in the bowl with the movement. I do not know how, Vader admitted in a shivering whisper. Breathe. Luke commanded gently, praying that this would work, 
as he stilled Vader's shaking hands with his own, holding the bowl of liquor together. And say the prayer with me. May all who died, may all who died find peace where they go. Vader whispered alongside him, a deep well of pain, grief, and memories pooling between them as Vader breathed out the words with him. And may their journeys have them at ease and be gentle on their souls. Slowly, carefully, Luke pulled his hands back from Vader's with a soft smile. There, he whispered over the rain. Now pour it out. With shaking hands and a tangle of feelings, Vader held out the bowl over the fading bloodstains and poured out a libation for the dead and spirits alike, Luke quietly muttering blessings over the pool of alcohol and blood that mingled with the rain pouring down. He didn't know what it would fix, or what it helped Vader confront, but the snarling, jagged tangle of memorized pain seemed to ease a little, calming down into a dully aching pool of grief, pain, and guilt. Releasing a breath of relief, he let himself sink back down against his home, content to feel the rising and falling of Vader's chest against his side, as they both watched the rain wash away the stain of alcohol and blood. The bowl fell limply into Vader's lap, as if he had lost the strength to hold it up any longer. But Luke decided not to comment when he saw how intently the man was staring at the fading libation. Instead, he focused on getting his breathing back under control while leaning heavily against his home and trying to think that if what little he knew of Vader's past fit the bill of the breakdown he'd just witnessed. With the horror the man had gone through and self-admittedly inflicted, it seemed like that option was closer to the truth than he would like. Slowly, as they both calmed down, and the old wounds inadvertently opened up, scabbed over once more, he began to notice more details of his surroundings. The rain soaking into his pants from the ground on which he was knelt, the sting of the still-healing cut on the back of his arm, the distant ache in his neural ports and an overall sense of being wrung out and tired. A not altogether unusual feel after having communed with the storm, but still something that hit like a truck after long months of absence. That was... a lot, he said quietly, barely audible over the wind and rain. But somehow Vader still heard, and brushed up against him through the bond with an apologetic air something which Luke brushed off as quickly as he started, by firmly wrapping his own presence around Vader's and staying there. Are you all right? he asked, reaching out a hand to take back the bowl lying limply in Vader's lap. Black-gloved fingers twitched as he took the bowl, and an abrupt wave of shame welled up from inside Vader. I... I apologize, he mumbled. I did not mean to... I did not mean... Most people don't, Luke assured him softly, waving aside the apology. But that doesn't answer my question, he continued. 
Are you all right? I am, Vader rushed to answer. And they both winced as the lie screeched bitterly through the air. Luke waited for the inevitable correction to the truth. But Vader stubbornly refused to meet his eyes. Shame stewing and bubbling up within him. Rising up so high they threatened to encase the man in a shell of loathing, pain, and doubt. Vader, Luke sighed as he nudged the man at the side. Don't hide from me, my home. He whispered softly. Don't hide your pain from me. He took one of the man's limp hands within his own. The sensors tingling as they reacted to the electric undercurrent of the other prosthesis when he twined their fingers together. Please, he begged softly. Don't lie to me. Not on this. Don't lie to me about your pain. I would not know how to talk about it. Vader admitted quietly. Shame still welling up inside him, but no longer threatening to close Luke out as he stared at their intertwined hands, gently curling his fingers over the back of Luke's. There is much you do not know, much that I do not know, let alone have told you about. Then don't talk about it, Luke muttered quietly, rubbing his thumb over the back of Vader's hand. I won't pry. But don't hide your pain away either. Trust me when I say it won't work. A soft humming sound vibrated through the man's chest and into Luke's own. Deep and soothing. And he leaned further into it while the rain came down on both of them. It sounds like there is a story there. Vader noted quietly. The first time I lost a charge, Luke admitted softly. He died when slavers found where he'd hidden himself away, and... He sighed, remembering the screams that had alerted him too late to the fact that his charge had been found. The laughing of the slavers as his charge screamed, and the growling and barking of barely trained massives painting the picture for him long before he'd arrived to see the blood and gore pooling on the ground. They set massifs on him, he revealed softly to Vader, all for their own entertainment and to make an example out of him. By the time I'd reached him, his gut had been completely torn open, and he was already bleeding out. He paused for a moment, letting Vader softly squeeze his shoulder. I killed them, he continued. All of them. For what they'd done to Kirkin. Vader stilled at his shoulder. A flash of recognition, fear, memory, pain, loss. Blazing through the bond before it went eerily quiet. Luke grinned wryly and nudged into his side. Not doubting for a moment that Vader knew very well the impulse to hurt and fight and kill. He'd seen the footage of the main hangar during the massacre. I didn't feel any better afterwards, he continued. The memories coming easily now that they'd been dulled by four years of time and experience. But there was no time to grieve. Not while I still had four other charges to escort through their flight, and after that, I simply bottled it up. I didn't talk about it, I didn't even want to think about it. 
and I hoped that it would eventually go away. But it never did, Vader finished softly, sounding very far away. Now, Luke agreed with a wry smile. It never did. And it didn't stop either, it just festered. Like an infected wound. What did you do? Luke huffed out a soft laugh. I let it out, he revealed simply. One evening, when the storm was howling around the farm, I just couldn't take it anymore, and ran outside, screaming into the winds. My aunt and uncle begged me to come back inside, but I wouldn't listen, and kept screaming and screaming out all my anger and grief and pain into the storm, until I was raged out. Only then did I let them drag me back inside. He sighed, nudging his head against Vader and smiling as thunder rumbled overhead, soft and muffled. After that bout of catharsis, I finally opened up to my aunt and uncle and told them what had happened. It didn't fix everything overnight, but it helped. And they helped me get through the hardest days. And over time, the hardest days got less hard and the pain started to dull. He glanced up at Vader. But that happened only after I stopped hiding the pain. That earned him a small laugh and a squeeze of his hand. Very well. Message received, Vader murmured, wrapping an arm around him and pulling his mantle over Luke's shoulder in the same motion, a wave of warmth enveloping him as he did so. Is this what it means for you to be the storm's champion? He asked quietly, tone still slightly broken but tinged with something teasing too. To give advice to old monsters weighed down by the mistakes of their past and the blood on their hands. Don't call yourself that, Luke reproved sharply. You are not a monster. And he wasn't. Whatever else Vader may be or be guilty of, he was not a monster. But Vader merely barked out a laugh of static, humorless and dark. Little one, you are not that blind, he chided, tilting his head down and meeting Luke's eyes with those large, gleaming opaque lenses that had eyes hidden behind them somewhere, but that Luke only caught with flashes of light. You know as well as I do what I am. I do. Luke confirmed, meeting the lenses unflinching and not holding back the steel in his voice. And I know that you are not a monster, many things, but not a monster. Vader made a derisive sound, looking back at the fire that was starting to die down, not because of the rain, but as fuel lessened and the bones started to crumble to ash. Then you disagree with the rest of the galaxy on a fundamental topic. The rest of the galaxy isn't your home, Luke shot back, grimly satisfied when the words made a visible impact on Vader, earning him a flinch. And I am still not certain that it was not a grim mistake for me to drag you down with me, Vader muttered, refusing to look him in the eye even as Luke shoved off of him. You do not get to say that, Luke snapped a snarl on his lips as Vader flinched back at his show of anger. 
Did you really think that you had me fooled in some way? He hissed, heart blazing bright with righteous anger. Did you really think that I did not know full well who I was tying myself to? I... Vader stammered. But Luke was not about to let him off the hook for this one. The Dark Lord, Luke began, hissing out the epithet as Vader's shock reeled through the bond. Spectre of the battlefields, the Grim Reaper, Black Death, Shadow of the Lady, the Empire's Fist, the Bloody Blade, he whisted off, sparing none of them as he hissed one after the other at his home. The One Man War, the Empire's blood-drenched shadow, I know your name. Months of eavesdropping on conversations when people thought he wasn't listening had given him an extensive list of how people viewed his home when they thought he wasn't around. And he was sure that if he were to ask Vader's enemies, there would be more epithets yet. He knew damn well who his home was. I know who I tethered my soul to, he declared. Truth ringing out in every word so loud that he knew not even Vader would be able to ignore it. I know who I named home. Silence rang out sharply, broken only by Luke's panting, the cycling of the respirator, and the tapping of the rain as Vader sat stunned in front of him while he regained his breath. Luke glared up at the man, fierce and defiant as he continued on. I know who you are, Vader, he declared softly, voice nearly a whisper. And I know what the rest of the galaxy thinks you are. The fearful gazes, the officers that walked on eggshells around Vader as a matter of habit, the terror after the massacre that suffused everything, the way his presence warded off even the most persistent socialites at any given party, the propaganda soaked in blood, the broadcasts of Vader's bloody exploits that reached even the Outer Rim. I know who you are in the eyes of the people, Luke continued quietly, holding Vader's gaze and making sure the man saw every word he spoke. The complete silence of the bond nearly unnerving when paired with the unwavering stare. And they're wrong. All of them. The gifted tree. The patient explanations and teachings the quiet good nights and good mornings, the way he matched his stride to accommodate Luke's shorter legs, the nighttime vigils when he was injured and scared, the warmth he could feel in the bond that felt awfully familiar. I know you, Luke repeated quietly, and I know who the people think you are. He quirked his mouth up into a wry smile and took Vader's hand back into his own, I didn't choose any of them as my home, he reminded Vader, squeezing the man's hand softly. I chose you. Luke, Vader breathed out. But Luke merely shook his hand and smiled soft this time and gentle. I chose you, he repeated. I know you have blood on your hands, Vader, but so do I. So many lives cut down over the years, and even a few that he regretted he had to cut short in the name of his charges and the flight paths. Secrecy was paramount, and as a runner he was sworn to make sure it stayed secret. 
I'm no naive innocent, my home. He continued softly when Vader made a soft noise of protest, denial and refusal beginning to rear their ugly heads within him. No matter what anyone says, he knew that too. Zev's shock at his true nature, the ease with which the Emperor bought his act of innocence, the way the General had addressed him and finally given him the last puzzle piece in figuring out why no one seemed to see him. No one except Vader. You've made your mistakes, he admitted freely. Sons, he knew that Vader had made many, but he didn't know how many were of his own volition and how many were under the orders of his master. You can be hateful, violent, cruel. With that, Vader abruptly looked away, shame spattering up through the bond as if Luke had hit an artery, but no, no. He wasn't about to let that happen. He rose up onto his knees and took Vader's mask in both his hands, gently turning it to face him as he felt the warm breaths of the respirator on his skin and metal, watching the raindrops roll off of angles of the mask. I knew all those things when I named you home, he continued, undaunted and needing Vader to understand this. And I still chose you, because for all that you are those things, you are kind, caring, and gentle too. And with all those things, you are no monster, my home. Flawed, certainly. But no monster. You give me too much credit, little one. Vader muttered as he brought up a hand to cover Luke's own. You give yourself too little. Luke counted boldly, daring Vader to challenge him with a stern look. I am not so foolish as to pick my home on a whim. When you gifted me that tree, I contemplated my answer, and knew exactly what I would choose. I chose you. You did not get to diminish my agency in this. You did not trick me. You did not fool me. You did not force me. I chose you. He held Vader's gaze. I am yours, and you are mine. Do you understand me, my home? Vader huffed out a soft sound and nodded as firmly as he could without shaking Luke's hands off. You could not be much more clear if you tried, my home. Vader teased gently and Luke huffed. With you I need to be, he groused softly, letting go of Vader's mask and sitting back down on his heels. You wouldn't have believed me otherwise. Perhaps not, Vader begrudgingly admitted, looking away again as unnameable emotions began to leak through the bond, and Luke sighed quietly as he thought on how he could make his point, looking away himself and letting his eyes drift. Oh, he blinked as his gaze landed on the bull of Jereshka, still sitting by the fire and innocuously glimmering up at him in the flickering firelight of the flames. An idea formed in his mind, and with one final glance towards Vader, he pulled the bowl towards him, the movement drawing back Vader's gaze. We never performed the proper ritual, Luke noted as he eyed the bowl, pouring off the thin layer of rainwater that had built up on top of the Jereshka, revealing the proper paste to still be perfectly usable underneath. The bond froze in place, 
and Luke glanced up as he found Vader staring at the bull as well, realization in every line of his body. Grinning slightly, Luke took the bull into his lap. Let us rectify that now, he proposed. I, Luke, little one, are you... Vader stammered out. I'm certain, Luke cut in firmly, scooting around to angle himself directly in front of Vader. I choose you, he repeated, looking up at Vader and tilting his head. Unless you do not choose me. I do, Vader promptly corrected, voice firmer and surer than it had been throughout the entire conversation. I always will. Then let us begin, Luke answered with a grin, setting the bull in front of him and dipping three fingers on both hands in, raising them up to Vader's mask. May I? Vader looked at his hands for a moment, having reared back as they came up. Luke held his breath as he felt Vader contemplate, before sighing alongside Vader in relief when the man gave in with a nod. You may, he agreed quietly, and Luke smiled when he felt warmth brush up against him through the bond, dark and sure. I, Luke Cash, he began softly, placing all six fingers at the corners and middle of the ridge underneath each lens. Name you Darth Vader as my home. He slowly drew the fingers down in parallel lines, letting them glide over the cheeks of Vader's mask and meet up underneath his chin, his core full and heavy with a thick warmth that wrapped throughout his entire being. I will accept, abide, and cherish all that comes with that name as I tether my soul and fate to yours. Our names will be spoken as one, and come what may, we will stand as one. He finished the lines, letting them trail into the hollow of Vader's throat before he lifted his fingers, dipping the one in the Jereshka one last time for the final part of the ritual. This, he said, barely keeping his voice from shaking as he anointed Vader's brow with one final dot just underneath the other. I vow... And with that it was said, and a thrum rang through something deep within him, more of a reminder of its existence than the forging of something new. He breathed deeply and slid the bowl over to Vader with a smile. Your turn. With a shaky sound, Vader took the bowl and copied Luke's movements, dipping six of his fingers inside and resting the heavy, gloved fingertips at the corners in the middle of Luke's eyes. I, Darth Vader, name you Lukesh as my home, Vader began, nervousness thrumming through the bond, but the words steady and sure as his fingers slid down, applying the Jereshka in broad, even strokes. I will accept, abide, and cherish all that comes with that name as I tether my soul and fate to yours. Our names will be spoken as one, and come what may we will stand as one, he continued. The lines joining in the hollow of Luke's throat, with the three lines marking him out as a child of the desert. With shaky movements, he dipped a finger back into the bowl and pressed it underneath Luke's other sealing mark. 
This I vow. A shudder went up through Vader, and Luke smiled quietly as the vow took hold again, this time with all the proper rite and ritual and not just them desperately clinging to each other after Luke had had one of the most horrifying experiences of his short life. They were home, and no one could deny that now. Even if they didn't know all the other was yet, even if one was still in chains, even if below this rooftop there were a thousand and one responsibilities waiting for the both of them that would do their damnedest to break them apart, they were home, sons, they were home. He laughed, bright and clear, and launched himself into Vader's embrace, being caught in turn by a laughing Vader, relief and awe and love singing through the bond with a power that could only strengthen it. I am yours, he muttered with a laugh into Vader's armor, and you are mine. Yours, Vader agreed, holding Luke close. And mine. Luke could only laugh again. Sheer joy tumbling, twirling, spiraling through him and joining Vader's like birds in flight. Vader laughed above him, holding him closer, and for a moment they simply were. There in the thunder and the rain, nothing could touch them for a moment, nothing of this world. Thunder rumbled above, and Luke looked up into the rain still pouring down, Vader rumbling out his own sounds in turn as he followed Luke's gaze. We ought to get inside, Vader muttered quietly. The weather may not affect me, but it will affect you if you remain out for much longer. Luke sighed, suddenly reminded of the now absolutely sodden clothes hanging off of him that he still didn't quite feel, even as the exhaustion of all that had transpired only moments earlier was setting in. Probably. Luke admitted quietly. But I can't deal with everything else right now either. The quarters, the train, my charges, my duties as head engineer. He sighed, and Vader rumbled in soft amusement. Then do not, he answered simply, mirth poking Vader softly through the bond. If anyone can justify not taking part in one's duties in the moment, it is you. After all you have done, you have earned your rest. It won't stop people from asking, Luke noted. Or stop them from asking where we've been when we come down looking like this, he said with a gesture towards the Jereshka. He wasn't ready to wash it off yet, but he knew there'd be questions, there always were. But Vader merely snorted and shook his head. Let them try, he rumbled. I doubt any will be brave enough to stand to us both. To you? Luke corrected with a grin, but Vader held his gaze significantly. To us both, he asserted quietly, running a hand along Luke's cheek, careful not to disturb any of the Jereshka. You made quite the impression yesterday, he noted. It will not be so quickly forgotten. And at any other moment, that would have been something to worry about, something to concern himself about, something to plan endlessly for and pray that it would work. But right now he sat underneath an open sky beside a dying fire as a storm thundered all around him. Right now he still had fresh Jereshka on his face, marking him out as someone's home. Right now he was looking at Vader, who had those exact same marks displayed on his mask 
and who'd prayed and sacrificed and sang with him. Let them, he said, grinning wide and bold and brave. We're ready for what may come. Vader laughed, something bright and gleaming within the bond as he nodded. Yes, I think you're right. With that, a darkness enveloped Luke's body, and within moments he was lighter than air, as both he and Vader floated up out of their kneeling position and onto their feet once more, mantles flaring out as the items rearranged themselves to be carried again. Come, Vader said gently when Luke had found his feet again, holding out his mantle over his head once more to shield him from the rain. Let us depart for warmer and drier pastures. Luke grinned and rolled his eyes, but dutifully held out his hands to take his share of the earthenware, stacking them up in his arms. With everything balanced, he looked back up to Vader and was struck again by what he found looking back at him. His home, with Jereshka marks taken willingly and knowingly, despite no longer being a child. Marks that named him Luke's, much like Luke's named him Vader's. No one in the palace would know what they meant, even as they would be curious about them, but that was more than fine with Luke. Right here, right now, he had everything he wanted and more. With no signal, no prompt, they set off towards the maintenance door as one. Luke tucked safely into Vader's side and shielded from all by the man's mantle held over him like a shielding wing as his patrons sang all around him. He couldn't help it. As they walked, full of joy and love, Luke opened his mouth and sang back. And moments later, his home joined him in song. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Cry, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.